Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Tim, I am so excited. I'm happy that we're finally at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. I gotta say, Dave, I'm not excited, and I'll tell you why. Uh, too scary. Oh. <laughs> too scary. <laughs> Good point. Good yeah, point. Yeah, skeletons, there's there's graves around, there's this uh, like demon-eyed guy that they've got as kind of their like logo this year. It's uh, It's all just frightening. I mean, it's also kind of under sad circumstances because of Rick. Rick, which is like the one name that's on yes. the tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Rick. Yeah, it's weird because they have like two 
stars named Rick. Like one uh, one of their biggest stars, and then uh, Rick Steiner. Right. <laughs> like, and it's neither one of those guys apparently. Uh, later on in the show, and we're talking for those of you who haven't watched the show, they've they've got some gravestones, and one of them just has the name Rick on it. Uh, later, it comes into play because they're like, well, th- that's not Flair though, because it's with a K. Right. Because Rick Flair is R I C, obviously. So it's really weird, like, the fact that you made the announcer specify that the gravestone wasn't for Flair, like, maybe just don't have one that says Rick. Right. And it's, I believe, pretty much the only one that has a name on it, besides, like, there's an Elvis one. Uh, there's a Crockett one. Is there? Yes. Oh, there. <laughs> nice. But we are getting ahead of ourselves, because before we get into today's show, uh, it is time for Roast Greg Valentine. And this episode's roast is courtesy of Alex Thompson, host of the Galaxy Quest Minute uh, podcast, as well as the Independence Day podcast, uh, Independence Day Minute podcast, that is. Are those both one-minute things? Uh, Yes, they both cover those minutes, uh, Galaxy Quest and Independence Day, respectively, one minute at a time. I've been a guest on uh, both of those shows, Okay. so you can check those out uh, in the archives. The Galaxy Quest Minute one is particularly interesting uh, just because he uh, actually got Paul Shear, a pretty famous comedian and podcaster, uh, as a guest on an episode because Paul Shear is actually, or I, I don't think this is happening now, or it might be in the air. He was going to uh, reboot Galaxy Quest as like an Amazon TV show. I, I do remember hearing about that. I, I, was think, to... I think there's been some developments with that. that I, I'm out of my depth, but I, I think right. that may not be happening at this point. I was just trying to think, was Paul Shear in the movie? Because I mean, I know who Paul Shear right, is. Right, right, right. He was not. He just was okay. a big fan who was going to helm this Amazon uh, reboot or whatever. Nice. Uh, Tim Allen, I guess, will just have to live on those last man standing residuals. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and Toy Story. Oh yeah, right. God, actually, he's doing just fine. Yeah, Tim. fuck Tim Allen, but you're right. <laughs> that dude is. <laughs> I mean, some cable channels got to be still showing Home Improvement, but anyway, right. anyway, anyway, the roast of Greg Valentine. Alex Thompson actually sent like twelve of these. So if we ever get desperate, you're going to hear his name a lot. Okay. Uh, but this was one I particularly like. Particularly liked, and that is. Quote, the last time that Hulk Hogan managed to wrestle his way out of a paper bag was when he pulled out of Greg Valentine. Oh, (laughs) that is dirty. (laughs) I do want to remind you that if you want to roast Greg Valentine and have it read on a future show, you can find us on social media by following us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. Of course, you can always email those in or anything else you'd like to communicate to us at 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. Today is my wife's 13th birthday, October 27th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Garden Arena at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, in front of about 10,000 fans, 8,390 of whom paid to get in for a then-WCW record high gate of $224,660. Fans at this event also spent $69,000, nice, on merchandise, (laughs) with roughly half of those sales being for NWO-related merch. This is the seventh Halloween Havoc pay-per-view put on by WCW, and it did around 250,000 pay-per-view buys, more than double last year's event, uh, which we covered. You can hear our full episode in in the archives. And that saw the Giant sort of win the WCW heavyweight title from Hulk Hogan after interference from the Dungeon of Doom, including the Yete, uh, and a heel turn by Jimmy Hart. Uh, yeah. That all sounds right. Familiar. Yeah. So Halloween Havoc is always sort of a big one. I think Bischoff uh, has said on his podcast a number of times that to him, this was the one he always looked forward to and tried to build to more than Starcade. Mm-hmm. He saw Halloween Havoc as the 
uh, for lack of a better term, I don't think this is an, a complete analogous thing, but he saw it as the WrestleMania of WCW. This was the show he wanted to be their kind of centerpiece. And, and I think more often than not, in a given year, Halloween Havoc just tended to be a better pay-per-view than Starcade. Sure. I don't know why it is, but they, it, it seemed like maybe, I don't know if it, they put too much pressure on themselves, but right. Starcade just generally never lived up to expectations. Well, that Starcade we had last year, uh, which we didn't really cover on the show, we just kind of mentioned the results on the following Nitro's uh, episode. Yeah. It had that weird, like, WCW versus New Japan thing, mm-hmm. which was would have been really cool, but they never built it on Nitro at all. Right. It was like something that you barely knew was going on. They had those weird things where uh, Bobby Heenan was like just kind of having dinner with random Japanese people. Yeah. And other than that, it was very it was promoted almost not at all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love Halloween Havoc. Uh, we talked about it last year when we when we covered that show. Uh, I love just the aesthetic. I love the spooky uh, graphics that they put up it's yeah. like it they could go further if if they wanted to for me mm-hmm. they could i know next year's set uh the 97 set is like one of my favorites it's just i i miss when pay-per-view sets were big and unique i love that three months ago we were literally at the beach and now yeah and now we are in like a graveyard full of spooks and ghouls and yeah. it's awesome it's and so great and i feel like the next couple of years just in general for their sets are going to be they're going to be good years because yeah. they just have the money for it they have right. the means yes. to make it bigger and better every single year so now before the show started the live crowd saw two dark matches first jim powers actually picked up a win of course not televised but mm-hmm. he got a win over pat tanaka and i mean but if you don't see it on tv does it really happen uh you made it into the observer <laughs> oh, okay fair <laughs> enough if, uh, I mean, if Dave Meltzer notices it, then that's good enough. <laughs> and then what was described as a fantastic tag match with Psychosis and Juventud Guerrera defeating Damien and the appropriately named for the occasion, Halloween. Yeah, that sounds like a good match. And I think I would like there's at least half the matches that we get. Yeah, that I would I would rather see that tag match instead. Now, that match was actually the first WCW match for Halloween, uh, televised or otherwise. He is, of course, a AAA star like a lot of the luchadors, and I th- we'll see him soon, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the first matches for Damien, another AAA star who first wrestled a couple of matches at house shows just the past weekend before this show. Okay. So both are very, very new to uh, WCW and, and have yet to appear on television at all. Although this this seems like it's a little bit of a better idea to get them mixed in and wrestling these other guys before going on TV. Sure. Because they've definitely put guys on TV. Like, Juventud Guerrero's debut could have gone a lot better because it seemed like they kind of thrust him out there before he was ready for it. Right. So this seems like maybe they're learning a little bit from those mistakes. That could be. Uh, we start out the show with a fantastic video package showing clips of the NWO's Reign of Terror interspersed with clips of Bischoff's promo that he kind of cut on Nitro saying that his one regret, his one big mistake, uh-huh. uh, since, and I know that's a little self-aggrandizing, but I like the way it comes across. His one mistake since he took over as executive vice president was bringing Hogan to WCW, uh, and I just, I really liked the way that it was cut together. It was very 90s, but in a good way. Uh, I thought that this was one of the v- better video packages that we've mm. seen. What, what was your opinion? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the way that he treated Macho Man over the last few weeks was kind of like a bigger <laughs> error. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't know that yet. For all he knows, Macho Man's going to come into this event fired up and ready to go. Right. <laughs> and how right he is, by the way. But no, I I um I know the Bash of the Beach one, I think, 
when it comes to those opening like promo videos yeah. up to this point that's been my favorite that was a very good one yes they i mean it seems like they have like a very good grasp of at least like knowing how to put in like a little bit of history yeah and, and not just being like well this is what happened over the last few weeks making sure that they're kind of like well a lot of this stuff that's happened since NWO showed up back in May is still relevant to the right. story. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it still has, like, the very generic 90s music and very generic, like, 90s presentation of the video. Yeah. But just, like, what they've chosen to highlight, I think, is really well done. And it, it, it does. It kind of reminds you that this is supposed to still be significant because, like, in theory, these matches of WCW versus NWO have ramifications right. as far as, like, who controls professional wrestling essentially yeah tony shivani welcomes us to the mgm grand garden arena and slim jim's halloween havoc we get pyro and shots of the always awesome set uh basically unchanged from last year as i recall um right yeah except for the slim jim uh paraphernalia everywhere right. i suppose yeah i mean i like the entrance is generally the same yeah it's just the presentation at ringside has a lot of Slim Jim going on. Yeah, the ring, all the ring posts are wrapped in like Slim Jim red and yellow logos that actually added a kind of additional layer of padding. Uh, I don't mention it too much in my notes, so I guess I'll get it out of the way now. Uh, the announcers at one point point out the padding and saying like, oh, those ring posts aren't going to be as damaging as they normally are. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, none of the, like, that's not a note any of the wrestlers have. So a ton of matches feature guys getting shoved into ring posts and no one is like, sells it less because there's padding on it. It's still sold as if it's a devastating thing right. to happen. Yeah. And I didn't know it. I mean, I, I didn't know if at some point you're going to mention this, but the MGM Grand Garden Arena is going to be a place that we're going to be visiting in a few months. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that on another recent episode. But yeah, that is where uh, Double or Nothing, I wanted to call it all in two, but uh, Double or Nothing is mm -hmm. going to be, uh, yeah, in late May. And Dave and I are hashtag all in. Right. The reason why I thought it was interesting to mention is for the fact that this Halloween Havoc, you said there's like 10,000 people. Yes. And all Double or Nothing is going to have a lot more than that, which is kind of weird to think about. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. But also, I want to say when, when we get to the announcers, uh, to the announcers table for the first time. Yeah. I love their polo shirts, and I want one of those polo shirts. Yeah, the next note I have here is that Shivani is with Bobby and Dusty, and all three are in black official Halloween Havoc polo shirts. Dusty says that everyone in town is excited for a fight. A fight for the tradition of WCW. Brain thinks that Macho Man is going to take things to a new level of insanity tonight as he has nothing left to lose. Heenan thinks that Hogan is in store for the beating of his life and we go straight to the ring where Dave Penzer introduces Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio for their cruiserweight title match. Uh, now, I mentioned in our last episode that the coverage here is not... Um, it's not as complete or as scripted. Like, I wrote for this one, I actually wrote down a lot of the moves and stuff but i don't have kind of that scripted style where uh it's just going to be a little more of a conversation right a little more stripped down especially some of the later matches where i don't have voluminous notes but there is a lot to talk about in this match mm -hmm. uh dean comes out he's still got ray's mask malenko takes control early he goes for a quick clover leaf but ray avoids it uh they do a great job throughout the match of reversing a lot of each other's signature spots sort of to tell the story that these are guys who have had five matches against each other over the last few months. Mm -hmm. And that adds a new depth. Like we've seen this match a number of times and I've complained that they're blowing it by having it too much. Yeah. But I like that in this one, there was a clear development of Ray would go for a hurricanrana. Dean would catch his legs, push him off. Ray would backflip and try to land on his feet. Like it was clear that these guys are learning and adapting to the other one yep. each time that they face each other. And that's really cool. Um, where it kind of lost a little bit was 
on some of those spots, like Dean flips Ray's legs back and Ray lands on his feet, he doesn't quite land on his feet. Like, there's just little elements that are not executed perfectly, I guess. So whereas this is a great match and it tells a great story, this isn't, like, up there in the top echelon of WCW Cruiserweight matches. For mm. me, it's very, very good. It's just not, like, I wouldn't call this a five-star match if yeah. we're using that particular term. Yeah, and to kind of pull out, like, a, a longer analogy about this yeah. is... I, I tend to think when it comes to professional wrestling and, per, and actual, like, events that it's – and you would relate to this because it's a lot like when you're in, like, a play or a show or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. And from the very beginning that it's a little bit flat, it's harder for everyone else to kind of pick it up that it, like, it affects everyone else that comes out. Yes, sure. And I feel like in professional wrestling that happens a lot too. And in this show in particular, I feel like since the, the first match there's a little bit – like, there's just – Little mistakes, not anything you would get worked up about, yeah. but just like executions not at like 100%. And I, I think that a lot of the matches afterwards kind of have the same thing too. Interesting. In a weird spot, Malenko like goes over and stands on the apron talking to the mask of rays that he stole. Yeah. Which is very out of character because we always talk about Malenko. He's all business. Mm -hmm. All he wants to do is get in there and hit moves and win matches. He's emotionless. Yet he turns his back to his opponent who's not like out cold or anything. To just talk to an empty mask. It makes him look like a huge idiot. Well, and it would make sense if it's in a match in which he's not facing sure. the owner of said mask. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, obviously it was a setup for him to get drop kicked off of the apron. Right, yeah. But it, it I agree, it doesn't make any sense rather than <laughs> it being a setup. So Ray drop kicks him down, hits a somersault sent on over the top rope in a huge spot. He then gets back in the ring and grabs the stolen mask. He switches back to it. I don't like the stolen mask as much as the one that he wore down, uh, especially because the stolen one is one that you notice he continually has to adjust mm -hmm. throughout the match. And they kind of try to make it seem like, oh, that mask is like a big deal. Ray will wear a mask twice and then sell it to a guy in Japan for like $15,000. <laughs> he writes about it in his book a little bit. Oh, so okay. it's not like it's not like he's got this one mask he's stuck with for years. He he wears these, he interchanges them constantly and sells them. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I got like the, the principle yeah. of getting it back. And and also, I, I give him like a 10 out of 10 out of his ability to switch masks without yes. showing his face. Yes. I'm like, this dude, has this is not his first time at that rodeo. Yeah, they did a he did an absolutely great job. And the cameraman did a great job, too, of picking an angle that showed what was happening yeah. without giving anything away. Yeah. And also, it's just like this mask, because it, it is the one where it's really open on the back. And yeah. it kind of has like just kind of straps. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's been like always been dragged on these ring posts, I can see it like probably got stretched out a bit too. Sure, yeah. Dean turns a hurricanrana into a side suplex. Shivani makes a really cool point. Uh, I liked that about how the fans don't like Malenko, even though he doesn't cheat. Uh, it's just sort of his demeanor. You know, yeah. We we did see in one match he used the ropes for leverage on a pin, which is very low, I'd say, on the mm -hmm. the pantheon of like uh, heel maneuvers. Right. But generally, it's it's not that Malenko is like a dastardly guy. He's just efficient and ruthless. Does not care about the fans. Does not care about his opponent. He just wants to win. Yeah. And that has not endeared him to the WCW faithful. Yeah, and and pretty a pretty basic thing about uh, being a face is that you appeal yourself to the fans. Right. And he does the opposite of that. So it's understandable that fans don't like him because he's like, I'm not looking for your fandom. We get a top rope side slam by Malenko. Shivani mentions that Mike Tyson is going to fight Evander Holyfield here in the same arena. And that match indeed happened on November 9th, 1996, so just a few weeks away. Now, that is the one where Holyfield won by TKO in the 11th. 
Uh, the rematch in June of 1997 mm-hmm. is, of course, the infamous ear-biting. Yeah, I made a note of that as well, that it was like, oh, it's the fight where he wins the championship yeah. and not the fight in which there's a disqualification, which, by the way, the one in, in June of 97, yeah. same arena. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Um, and then also I made the note, uh, summer of 97 uh, was when we went on a family vacation. Yeah. And it was like one of those kind of typical like Griswold family vacations <laughs> in which we drove from Minnesota all the way to Vegas. Oh, my God. And and we heard it on the radio when oh, Mike Tyson funny. was disqualified. <laughs> Tonight puts over Ray's international touring schedule, pointing out that in the last two weeks alone, Ray has had matches in Japan, the U.S., and Mexico. Dusty interpretates from that <laughs> that Tanae means that Ray is tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite being tired in some of the near falls that happen, I like Shivani has this <laughs> quote, which I think he means to put Ray over, but he goes... The young man does know how to kick out, doesn't he? <laughs> That's the best thing you can think to say about a guy. Eventually, D settles into a, Dean settles into a long sleeper. Uh, afterward, he follows up with a huge knee to the gut, and Ray does the Rikishi-style bump with the full flip in the air. Mm. Uh, that I, I think that's just such a great bump. Dean gets a hammerlock suplex for two. Dean then works a crucifix rest hold uh, while Ray sells by, by going, Ah, my back! <laughs> <laughs> there there was a point I don't even remember when or what it was but there was a point where Ray, Ray was uh, selling his knee hurting and I was like whoop that's surgery number one <laughs> they end up uh, on the outside and Ray tries to do what would have been a really cool springboard off the guardrail yeah but he slips he's I think he lands it's not it, he doesn't he lands on his feet it mm-hmm. doesn't look that bad and I think his brain is like Let's not push our luck. And he does not try it again. He's right. just like, nope, that didn't work. And he could tell the guardrail was not going to support his weight or it, maybe it slid. There was another match, and I could not remember who. It might have been Ray again, although I think it was Psychosis or somebody. We saw another match where someone tried something similar and the guardrail just moved too much. Mm-hmm. I think these guys think that they're going to just be stationary and and then they actually like hit it and the thing just like moves from their weight. And they're like, oh, well, that's not going to work. Right, and, and I was like, kudos to Ray Mysterio for, like, moving on and, and not, like, going to the well again because, like you said, it was probably going to be the same result. Right. Ray gets a springboard somersault sent on for two. They get then a series of go-behinds, reversals, and standing switches that sees Ray try a, <laughs> I just have, fancy pin <laughs> for another two. So uh, fancy. <laughs> Dean then hits a clothesline and a vertical suplex for a two of his own. Dean gets thrown to the outside by Ray, who hits something. I don't know exactly what to call it, other than maybe a corkscrew acai moonsault. Uh, they sell for a little bit and then get back in the ring. Ray then gets a hurricanrana, but Dean hits a huge kick out. That fooled, like, everyone in the crowd. They thought that was the finish. Ray goes for another springboard, but this time Dean catches him in midair for a powerbomb and another very close two count. The fans are really getting into the false finishes. Right after that, uh, where he catches him and hits the power bomb, Dean then tries to set up the second rope gut buster that mm-hmm. I love so much. Uh, but Ray tries to counter it to a hurricanrana. Dean, however, is ready for that and manages to shove him off. Ray then jumps back up to the second rope, trying for something. But Malenko catches him with a second rope gut wrench power bomb for the clean as a bedsheet victory. Uh, the crowd is actually very appreciative for the great match they just saw. They're not really booing Dean. Mm-hmm. They're just cheering, and it feels like, maybe I, this is my own interpretation much, but it feels like they're just cheering a great match. Like, they're just happy for what they saw. Yeah, and, and I felt like this match really picked up towards the end, too. At the very yeah. beginning, I mean, I I do 
like you mentioned, I like the um, the storytelling of of countering each other's moves because they've seen them before. Right. Um, I think more towards the middle of the match was when it was kind of like it, it felt like they might have been going, you know, by the numbers or something like that. But um, it really picked up towards the end. The fans got into it. The announcers got into it. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really uh, a good finish. And I'm always, you know, I'm always for, especially since these guys have faced each other so many times, for a different kind of way that Dean Malenko won instead yeah. of just going for something that he's beaten Mysterio with before. So Dean Malenko is once again your WCW Cruiserweight Champion. <laughs> and to me, it felt like a long time coming because when I was looking at um, my previous notes, it was like 18 months ago when we did the Nitro in which he lost. Oh, sure. So <laughs> in in our time, it's a long time yeah. for him. I mean, still like three and a half months of him like trying to pursue and get a match with Ramey Stu. Yeah. That's still a pretty decent amount of time. It did it did feel like that like he finally got back to where he belonged pretty much. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I hope, I mean, I guess Ray might get a rematch uh, for being the champion, but I'd love to see each man move on to new things. Uh, right. Ray should be the champion again at some point. He's, I mean, he, this guy should be like a major, major superstar for WCW. Um, but right now I don't mind switching the title back onto a heel and just letting Ray do other things. I mean, Ray came into this company and almost right away in his, what, second or third attempt, he was the Cruiserweight champion. Yeah. I mean, he basically came in and had Cruiserweight championship matches until he won it. Right. And then he retained it for a few months, and, and now it's it's time for him to maybe do other things, build him way up, his way up in a different way, and then get that belt back. Yeah, and I think that I think Dean Malenko deserves a lot of credit for establishing Rey Mysterio Jr. Yeah. at this time. Um, because at this point, he doesn't have the belt, but I, I, I feel confident in him showing up for matches on Nitro and still having a lot of fan support without necessarily being champion. Sure. Dean celebrates with his belt, and we go to the locker room where Lee Marshall stands by. Tony, thank you very much. I'll tell you what, things really getting going here in Las Vegas, Nevada, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. When the card for this event was first being put together, we thought the NWO would finally get their comeuppance. It was going to be the giant against the nature boy, Ric Flair. Well, we saw what happened to the nature boy, but a man came through. He has accepted the challenge, and it is none other than Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yeah. And you are going to face the biggest man in the history of this sport in the biggest match of your life. Exactly. You want to talk about pride. You want to talk about tradition. You want to talk about heritage. You want to talk about charisma. Being able to get the, the job done inside of the ring. <laughs> I could go on and on about myself and Ric Flair, but I'm out here to talk tonight. <laughs> Just a few words to the NWO and the Giant. You guys had to impress me from the Giant to the Hogan all the way down the list with your monster trucks and jumping Ric Flair outside the ring. You ain't done nothing inside the ring. And in case you didn't know, Giant, that's exactly where we're meeting. Right in the middle of the old squared circle. That being the point, Jeff, can we talk a minute about the choke slam? The fact oh. of the matter is he's put it on just about everybody. Exactly. No promises or guarantees, no threats. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man to man, face to face, Giant, you will not choke slam me. <laughs> talk about Tell some him, big, big boots to fill. Oh, yeah. 13 times heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Rick Flair. I'm here tonight, not just to support Jeff Jett, but I'm here woo, to orchestrate the meet and greet because there will be a line a mile long of women in Las Vegas that want to shake the hand, hug the neck, and kiss the face woo, of Jeff Jarrett after he beats the Giants. Then, Macho Man, as much as I despise you, tonight, Macho Man, 
you and WCW woo, will walk that out. You will style a profile and you will take the hoaxer and the NWO woo, all night long. The Nature Boy, Jeff Jarrett. Let's go back to the ring. There's a ton of promos on this, and so we are going to see a lot of Lee Marshall, mm-hmm. who is fine. I'm, I'm not going to say anything negative about him, really. He just really makes me realize how much is missed by not having Mean Gene uh, as part oh, of the broadcast. Sure. This show would have been better if instead of five times seeing Lee Marshall, I got to see Mean Gene five times. What was, was it Bash at the Beach or Great American Bash? Was it the one where he where Oakland had that really good, like, quote-unquote, like, backstage promo about, like, the threat of the NWO? I believe that was Bash at the Beach. Yeah, that's they're kind of missing that element. Of, yeah. Because... Like you said, Lee Marshall's fine, but he's just he's just doing the announcer thing. Like yeah. you don't feel like he's invested in. He's like, got a big voice, and he's just got like a I'm enthusiastic. He's just like enthusiastic and big voiced, and there's nothing. There's no character behind it. Yeah. Whereas like Mean Gene, no one's ever had more of a character than him. Uh, Tanae, who I like on announcing, mm-hmm. is is the same as a backstage interviewer. There's just no personality at all. Right. He's just a guy with a mic who can ask a basic question and stand there mm-hmm. while someone else talks. Anyway, Marshall reminds us of that the original plan match for tonight was Ric Flair, who was to defend his U.S. title against the Giant. But that when Flair was attacked, someone else had to step up. In comes the man who did step up, Jeff Jarrett who is still 100% doing heel mannerisms and affectations. Right. <laughs> like, Marshall's talking, and he just interrupts him and struts around in front of him like he thinks he's king shit. Yeah. And it's like, dude, this is not how a baby face comports themselves. Well, I, I think in his defense, sort of, he's kind of just ripping off the Ric Flair way of doing things. Yeah, but Ric Flair... See, the thing is, Ric Flair did it as a heel for, what, 30 years? Right. And then, like, earned the right. Uh, 30 yeah. years is a big exaggeration. But he did it for, let's say, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. He's earned the right to just be a babyface and do all the same shit, and people are going to love it. Right. That doesn't work for Double J. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it works. I'm just Dave, saying that- stop saying it works. <laughs> <laughs> Jarrett uh, completely conflates himself and Ric Flair by saying that uh, both of them show charisma, the ability to get it done in the ring, pride tradition and a few other good things <laughs> it's like he should, just, he should just come in and be like you know between me and rick flair we're 12 time world champions <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> jared says that the nwo hasn't impressed him and hasn't done anything inside the ring i guess not noticing that they are the world champion like they own the world championship right now I, I wonder if the NWO on their checklist is like impressed Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Jarrett says the giant won't be choke slamming him, and then in comes the Nature Boy. Flair screams that he's not just there to support <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, but also to orchestrate the meet and greet between the mile of Vegas women who will be lined up to see Jeff Jarrett themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> He then decides to hype the Macho Man a bit, like he addresses the Macho Man through the camera. Mm. Uh, And then we go to the ring where Diamond Dallas Page makes his way out, as next up is Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero. I I like the idea of Flair setting it up for these women to meet Jarrett and being like, quote-unquote, surprised that they're all just interested in him instead. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Jeff. I didn't realize this would be the result. What a weird coincidence. The 12 hottest women wanted to come with me. (laughs) In retrospect, I should not have been facilitating this (laughs) meet and greet. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, we kind of miss a little bit here because of um, the dubbing over of DDP's theme. Like the announcers are just silent for three minutes. It, it's clearly yeah. and it seems like on the network. I think pay-per-views were like coded or uh, not coded, but like processed or whatever, whatever they do to these mm-hmm. pay-per-views were done at a different time from the nitros. So that usually on the nitros, they keep the audio and they just put it over the dubbed music. It seems like the pay-per-views were done with more haste. And so they'll just dub music completely over stuff sure. and you just miss it entirely. Sure. I, I tend to forget that the pay-per-views were on there for a little bit of a time before Nitro showed up. Yes. Tony says, uh, when we can hear him again, that this is for the Battle Bowl ring, which I had honestly completely forgot about, the non-prestigious non-title. Right. Uh, and they kind of forgot about it, too, because no one calls it Lord of the Ring anymore. They just talk about the Battle Bowl ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that they mentioned at all on Nitro that this was for that fucking ring. But Shivani claims that ever since DDP stole the ring back after losing it to Eddie a month or so ago, he's claimed to have no idea where the ring is. He he lost it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't give it to Eddie. He like ran off with it, and now he just says he lost it. He doesn't know where it is. Uh, okay, I, I don't I don't give a fuck. But whatever. I, I'm just remembering from um the the previous Nitro. I think it was Larry Zabisco that was saying that Domino's Page beat like 13 or 14 different Guerreros yes, to get to this yes, point. Yeah. So. He's getting back to the, the first guy again. Uh, so this match is for the ownership of a ring that no one knows where it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, to start off, Eddie tries to take it right to DDP, but Nick Patrick stops him. They end up starting on the outside where Paige sends Eddie into the guardrail before getting him into the ring to work him over. He hits uh, a hip toss and then strikes Eddie and slows it down with an early chin lock. Uh, and we will see, like, long rest holds being a staple of this match. And I'll get to why in just a little bit. Okay. Dusty makes a big deal of telling Heenan that the Guerreros have one of the greatest traditions worldwide, let alone internationally. I think those mean the same thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not only do they have a great tradition worldwide, it's also in several countries. <laughs> Maybe thinking about WCW worldwide. Yeah. Heenan, of course, decides to riff on that with some Mrs. Guerrero's chili jokes. Ah, uh, those classic. Are, yeah, always very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they're always funny. Uh, so we get more headlocks and reversals of headlocks, and the action is so slow and not at all what you'd expect given the men involved. Uh, but here's when I reveal to you that Eddie Guerrero was battling a high fever during oh, the show. Okay. Uh, so he had to struggle to get through this match. That's something that I had read before watching the match, so I knew to look for it. Mm. And once you know it's there, who boy, he seems miserable, oh, okay. and this match is... Uh, just not at all. I, we've seen these guys have a match, and it was good. Mm-hmm. And this match isn't good, and it's very slow in plotting with a ton of rest holds and just moments where, like, um, Eddie just looks completely off his game, and, and that's why. The poor guy's very sick. Uh, and then, But, he, but he, still, he still does a plancha later on, too. Yes. Uh, I know when I'm <laughs> sick, I don't even get out of bed, let alone do planchas, onto anyone. Well, and uh, this is a spoiler alert for later, but uh, in addition to that fever, after that plancha, he has two broken ribs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that... Which was weird, because when he does that, they're like, looks like he hurt his knees. Yeah. But I think, what, did he get, like, his knees up into his chest, then? I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but yeah, <laughs> Just... he broke, like, two ribs. So now he's deathly ill. He has two <laughs> broken ribs. The match ends up, like, missing a lot of the spots that were planned. Some That's what someone reports to Meltzer, and oh. he says, anyway. Eddie Gross is having one of those no-good, very bad days. Yeah, and so, spoiler alert, even more in the future, he has a match tomorrow night on Nitro, anyway. <laughs> 
Eddie Guerrero's amazing. That I'm just gonna go off topic a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but that just reminds me of when Eddie Guerrero was still wrestling those days after he had that match with JBL where he lost like mm. half his blood. Mm-hmm. And he was basically the point where he's like he was sick oh, because he lost so much blood and then he just kept wrestling and just made it worse. Oh, that's terrible. So it's like he just knows how to compound those those uh, ailments. Yeah. After minutes of headlocks, Eddie drop kicks Paige, and DDP does that thing where he's hung up on the ropes, mm-hmm. that position that only he gets into. Yeah. <laughs> and Eddie kicks him to the outside. Eddie whips DDP into the guardrail. Uh, back in the ring, they go back and forth until DDP dumps Eddie dick first onto the ropes. DDP then knocks Eddie's head against the ring steps on the outside and starts calling Eddie girlfriend for a while, <laughs> like several times. Before you know, I wasn't doing this match, yeah. But come on, girlfriend was my only <laughs> no. <laughs> and not only that, but um, Tony and Dusty like pick up on it, yeah. And they're just like they don't understand what it's. <laughs> <laughs> DDP gets goes for a ropes assisted pin. He's got his feet on the ropes, but mm-hmm. uh, Nick Patrick sees it and admonishes Page. Every time Nick Patrick does anything that a regular ref would, the announcers are just baffled. They're just like, oh, I guess he he isn't bad. Like, we've been misjudging him this whole time because he did that one good thing. Right. And it always bites them in the ass later, and they're uh-huh. always, like, mystified again. Right. Like, yeah, occasionally, he if it's something super blatant, that, like, you know, he, he can't get fired, so he has, like, maintained a little bit of plausible deniability. And they just cannot figure out why he ever does it. They just think he should be evil all the time, I guess. Like, like I said on our last episode, and I'm sticking by the story, is that he has tenure. It's the <laughs> fact that he's <laughs> yes. a senior official is the reason why they can't do anything about him. Paige takes over with a, bo- a back body drop, a kick to the stomach, and a gut buster. The gut buster gets a two count. DDP then gets an abdominal stretch to waste some more time. A jawbreaker from Paige and then a tilt roll slam. Brain hopes that the Guerrero has bought a t- color TV to watch the match like everyone else. Uh-huh. Uh, which is, I don't know, just racist, I guess. I, that they're poor, I think, is the joke. Right. Uh, Dusty, for some reason, calls that a bad pun. <laughs> and I don't, maybe it is. Maybe that there's a joke I'm missing. But <laughs> right. I, I don't know, and uh, I don't want to know. DDP again has words with Patrick over what he thinks is a slow count. He shoves Patrick, who pushes him to the ground. Eddie tries to take advantage with a pin, but only gets a two. DDP tries to intimidate Patrick, who screams at Paige and backs him into a corner. And this, this doesn't make sense to me because when it comes to non-NWO matches, yeah, the the next benefit benefactory guy when it comes to Nick Patrick has yeah. been Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, I don't know I'll, why they're not like kind of buddies. That's true, although Page is also just happens to usually be against Teddy Long's guys. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not that Nick Patrick likes DDP. It's just that he hates Teddy Long, which we've seen. <laughs> right. Paige might be just like the accidental beneficiary. Right. Or maybe he's like, what have you done for me lately? DDP begs off from this referee, apologizes, and shakes Patrick's hand. <laughs> Eddie dives at Paige, but is dumped to the outside where he sells his knee. Eddie tries a sunset flip, but Paige stays up and tries punching him. Eddie dodges, and Paige does like a comically slow punching the mat and then like owie my knuckles kind of thing yeah that was <laughs> that execution was so bad yeah and eddie rolls through to complete the pin attempt on the sunset flip for a two count they then do the thing where they're like rolling through each other trading pins and this is where you see how sick eddie is because ddp is dragging eddie's dead weight yeah over his so like you know page needs to somersault backwards and pull eddie over him and eddie should be 
using his own like leg strength and momentum to push himself forward, but he just can't. Mm-hmm. So Paige is like doing backwards somersaults and just dragging a 200 pound man. Right. Just, I feel so bad for both of these guys. It looks terrible, mm-hmm. but if you know that Eddie's sick, it's like you just judge it differently. You're just like, oh, those poor guys. Yeah. They, and I mean, it's it's unfortunate because we've seen them wrestle before and they've had far better matches than this. Yeah. But you, you can tell they're trying their best. Yes. Uh, it's not for a lack of effort. DDP hits a big clothesline. Dusty, for some reason, says that Patrick, uh, I think he means was instead of is, but he says that Patrick was the best ref in WCW history. So, like, it's especially galling that he's doing this now. Oh. I just, that's like, I don't know, is he? Like, I never thought Patrick was that good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean... It also probably depends on where you count WCW as starting. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a handful of, of NWA guys, Crockett guys, who I'm sure were better. And Well, and, I mean, we've talked about it since the beginning of this podcast. WCW officials are, like, far worse yeah. than, like, WWF officials. Sure. I so, like Mark Curtis, but he's only been around for, like, three months at this point, so... Yeah. I mean, they all kind of have, like, their little... Like quirks, yeah, sure. Because like I think Randy Anderson for the most part is fine, but then he just gets too involved. He in and things. he's the guy who gets on the ropes all the damn time. Yeah, yeah. Like he he gets too involved yeah, in the situation yeah, yeah. when he really yeah. shouldn't be. Like each one of them has like if they just had this one trait they got rid of, they yeah. would be great. Yeah, if Nick Patrick did better on getting into a position and counting a pin, mm-hmm. I hate his counting so much. It's like yeah. the one thing I would change. Anyway, back to the match. Yeah. Uh, DDP tries to back body drop, but Eddie hits a drop kick, and he's so blown up that he can barely get back on his feet after the drop kick. I, I to be honest, I kind of was not paying a lot of attention this yeah. match. I, I kind of feel like going back to watch this now. Yeah, I think you should. I think you'd be interested, and in, it's yeah. like a case study of, of watching a guy who is just sick as hell try to get through this. And it's one, I, it's one of those things I don't really think about very often, but it's like it, it's interesting to be if you're a wrestler and you have to like sell an injury. That's not the actual injury. Yeah. Like, he's selling these knee injuries when his ribs are broken. Yeah, yeah, that's about to happen in a second. Uh, DDP does his big banana peel spot where he goes for the kick and the guy moves. Yeah. We get corner punches from Eddie, who then goes to the top rope for his big rib-breaking plancha. (laughs) Tony says that if Eddie wins, he'll keep the, quote, mysterious ring. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think he means the location is mysterious because Paige doesn't know where it is, but he just describes the entire ring as mysterious. <laughs> Which it is. Like, yeah. why is it still around, for example? Yeah. Well, why, we, why is it worth anything <laughs> to anyone? If we had, like, a Lucha Underground-style thing where, like, the ring had powers or something, then I'd be into the story a lot more. <laughs> or uh, or if it, like, if it like led you to a championship. Yeah. Yes. Like, it had, like, these abil- this power to, like heighten up your abilities as a wrestler it said whoever possesses the ring (laughs) (laughs) right so Uh, of course diamond house page would lose it that's just his character his opponent having broken a couple ribs page starts to only do moves that target the ribs (laughs) i don't think he knows i don't of course like eddie doesn't know that his ribs are broken necessarily right but he does a flapjack and then a sit out power bomb and it's just like god those are jarring moves on your midsection i can't imagine well, I would probably Eddie doesn't say anything to him either, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eddie must get word, I think, to DDP that they're changing the finish because DDP, instead of locking the the cutter out of nowhere, he like locks it on and then stands there for a minute. I think Eddie's saying like, "Fucking pin me, dude! You've got to just hit it and pin right. me." So DDP holds it for a moment and then hits it, 
the announcers, because of the way it was hit, don't think that that could be the finish. Mm-hmm. So they're claiming that, like, oh, he didn't get all of it. Eddie's arm was in there. Like, normally he has to lock it around the arm, but this yeah. time... So they're completely, like, because this just was not what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <laughs> that's it. DDP is your winner in about uh, 13 and a half minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I think kind of it's all in there in what we said in the match. This is not a particularly good match. It's far beneath the expectations of both those guys. Yeah. It's completely excusable uh, given what they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, the finish is rushing out of nowhere. It's just unfortunate. It's an unfortunate situation. Um, so I'm not going to criticize anybody. It just sucks. It, it, Eddie should, um, I don't know. I was going to say he should be commended, but also guys should feel free to say like, fuck, I'm really sick. You know, uh, they could have, they could have written around this somehow. Sure. I, I mean, maybe not so much that, but I think that once he had the rib injury, they maybe should have moved a little bit quicker to the ending because yeah. it was still a few minutes before they got to that point. It might have been that that flapjack and sit-out powerbomb were where he realized, like, oh, <laughs> oh. oh, I do not want to take uh, bumps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, sir. I'm done now. Shivani grabs the – oh, wait, not Shivani. DDP grabs the ring, which is suddenly sitting, like, in the corner of the wrestling ring. Right. The Battle Bowl <laughs> ring is just sitting there. Uh, they don't, I think, say anything on this show, but I, I watch a little bit of Tomorrow Night's Nitro, and Shivani on there says that uh, Nick Patrick must have had it the whole time, which I guess would make sense, but Nick Patrick and DDP weren't getting along in this match, and the ending certainly wasn't like Patrick helped him out or fucked Eddie over or anything. Mm-hmm. It just, all of a sudden, it is mysterious. It appears from nowhere. <laughs> I, I yeah. guess it does have powers of some kind. I mean, I did notice that after he grabs the ring, that Nick Patrick is, like, tucking in his pocket that was inside ah, out. Oh, okay. That um, must have been it then. So I was, like, I was flabbergasted, too. I'm, like, why, yeah. did, why if they're talking about, like, it being missing, is the referee that conveniently was scheduled for it has it in his pocket the whole time <laughs> and doesn't reveal that to anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, been, I guess the idea would be that they do have some kind of deal and if DDP was to lose, Patrick would continue to hang on to the ring for him. But since he won, mm. Patrick just surreptitiously drops it. And then DDP is like, oh, look, it was here. Yeah. It was here in Las Vegas the entire time. Right. <laughs> which, Eddie, which maybe with a little bit better execution of that sequence yeah. would have been like, I, I would have bought that as like as a dastardly deal where it's like, oh, look, it just happens to be right there now at this very moment. And maybe that got lost in the, you know, the finish being changed and everything. Who knows? Eddie is just lying in the middle of the ring. (laughs) He's he's like, it's nap time now. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we lose uh, everything the announcers are saying due to DDP's dub music until very suddenly we are in the back where Mike Tanay is talking to us across the country have had the opportunity to enter Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc sweepstakes. Appropriately enough, at WCW Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, Macho Man Randy Savage, if you will join me at this time for the grand prize drawing, the winner to receive the Randy Savage Slim Jim's Monster Truck. Oh yeah, the calm before the storm, because you know, as well as I know, and all these people know, that I got a very important match coming up against Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and I'm gonna take the WCW World Heavyweight Championship belt, and there's just one favor that I ask. When I pick the winner of the Monster Truck, the Slim Jim's Monster Truck, I just want him or her to just do me one favor and run over that body just one time, yeah. And the people that I don't pick, don't be mad at me. Yeah, I'm trying to be copacetic in a political year. You know the deal. 
I do know the deal, and Randy, I think the time is here. We have everything but a drum roll. I think it's time to pick a grand prize winner in the Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc sweepstakes. Let's find out who wins the monster truck. We've got the drum roll. return of an affidavit of eligibility and a liability slash publicity release. Randy, the winner. I'm borrowed time. A lot of people out there are looking forward to this. Do you understand that? Snap into it! I'm feeling warmer. I think I got something. It's not my mommy that's going to win this because that would be bad. And the winner is Joan McCallick from Romulus, Michigan. There it is, it's official. Joan Michalik of Romulus, Michigan wins the WCW Halloween Havoc Slim Jim sweepstakes and that Slim Jim monster truck. You know what? Oh, wow, Joan, if you want to take me on in a date in your Slim Jim's monster truck because it's really, 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 really cool, that'll be cool with me. Thank you very much, Macho Man Randy One Savage. One more thing. Congratulations and congratulations to everybody out there. But snap into it because in a little while, I'm going to take Hollywood Hulk Hogan and break him in half. Snap into him too. Dig it! Tony Schiavone, we understand that for the first time ever, WCW computer users on CompuServe can listen to Halloween Havoc on the Internet. Mike, today you're exactly right. As a matter of fact, our uh, on the Internet, there is our address, WCW wrestling.com and certainly you can get the real audio simulcast available exclusively on the internet as a matter of fact as you take a look at our address on the internet you can also log on to CompuServe right now Chris Jericho later on of course will take on six of the NWO and he is chatting with fans on CompuServe members type go convention and talk with WCW wrestlers live but unprecedented tonight on the internet it's a simulcast, first time ever I think I'm ready for, for WCW in a major pay-per-view event. So, it's the information age, gentlemen, and we are all a part of it. Right now, let's go back to Mike Tanay. Tanay welcomes Randy Savage, who's going to draw a name to win the Macho Man-themed monster truck. And uh, my question to you, Dave, who the fuck wants to win a monster truck? <laughs> right. Like, no one wants that. The best thing you can do with it is sell it and get the money. But who is who are you going to sell a monster truck to? That can't be easy either. Do you have a note as far as what they mention later on? As as yes, okay. it is it is clarified later uh, that it is a street legal version of a monster truck. Which so, which what the fuck is that even? I think what it, is a street legal monster truck? I think it is a pickup truck that's just like raised up. You know, mm. like one of those pickups that's really high, and it probably has that. Uh, we we see this monster truck later in the show, the official one, mm. and it has a big Randy Savage hat on it. So I assume it's a pickup truck that's been like raised up significantly over like the um, and I don't know car terms, but over the axles or whatever the fuck, and uh, and it has that mm. dumb hat on it. Uh, I can't imagine. I I texted you. I have not completed this. I am trying to get contact information for the woman that won this truck. Uh, I yeah. have her address. 
and I could write a letter. Uh, by the way, it's creepy how easy it is to find someone's address on the internet. You'd think like, oh yeah, oh I had Very to do easy. like a bunch of stalking. Like no, I just guessed what her name was spelled like, put it in, mm-hmm. and like three clicks later, I was like, oh here's her new name. Here's where she lives now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out like I'm trying to find an email because I figure that's the least weird way to get contacted by someone who says, hey, right. did you win this pickup truck in 1996? And would you like to come talk to me about it on my podcast? Yeah. But, no, I I was I was thinking that um if the result is like not what you expected and it's yeah. actually just a regular truck that's painted, right? That would be a far better thing to ha- deal with right. than a monster truck. So if that's yeah. what she ended up getting, I'd be like, oh, that's a lot better result than what. The- <laughs> Although that monster truck is also awesome, yeah, because it has tassels all around it. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, it is really stupid given that he's in, and we're gonna talk a lot about this later. But he is in, like, an absolute blood feud with Hogan right now. This right. is supposed to be just devastating his heart and soul. Yeah. And yet here comes the macho man to draw someone's name who wins a Slim Jim-themed pickup truck. Mm-hmm. It just kills, like, the whole storyline that he's out there. He, he has some cursory words, and we'll put in an audio clip of his promo here and the drawing yeah. and everything. He has some words for Hogan and everything. But it really kills the mood of what is supposed to be this match. And it's just really strange. I know he's the one who has the deal with Slim Jims. But, like, God, I don't know. They they had to have figured out, do this on the pre-show or something? I don't know. It's just I do not care for the way that this is injected in there. I think it really kills the momentum of, of that match. I mean, I, I think that we'll address it more when we get to the actual main event and the yeah. aftermath of the main event. But... From this point forward, the, the the stuff that's happened the weeks before, his character completely drops it. Yes. It's yes. completely dropped. And not only that, I don't recall the announcers even bringing it back up again as far as, like, watching the Miss Elizabeth video yeah. or, or him trying to, like, find um, Hollywood Hogan and screaming at, at Miss Elizabeth in the, in the hallway and stuff like that. Like, right. none of that's mentioned anymore. And it's like, it's like, oh, it's been a week since you've harassed me. I feel a lot better about my situation now. <laughs> yeah. But he's just like, he's like full on, like the cartoon version of Macho Man that you see most of the time. Right. It's just, it, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's it's so, it's so weird. It doesn't make, with all the buildup they did, they've now lost it pretty much. Yeah. Randy says that this is the calm before the storm of his main event match later. He pivots to the drawing and asks the winner to run over Hogan's body for him, which I did like that. <laughs> he also asks everyone that doesn't win to please not be mad at him. <laughs> which I wasn't. I really wasn't. <laughs> Tanae says that they don't have a drum roll, so Randy makes his own. <laughs> he then pulls apart a giant cardboard Slim Jim that he pretends is really heavy. Right. And just embarrassing. Yeah. It's like, you're a professional wrestler. Don't make yourself look weak. That's the last <laughs> thing you should be doing. Uh, so he pulls it apart. He pulls out the name. Tanae apparently has to read some legal bullshit right then and there. Like, he's about to read it, and Tanae's like, now, now, and reads out a few legalese sentences. Oh, okay. Uh, Randy pulls it out and announces that jo- Joan Mitchellchick from Romulus, Michigan, has won this truck. Romulus, Michigan? Yeah, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Randy says that he'd like to go on a date with Joan in her cool new truck. <laughs> Randy promises to break Hogan in half. Tanae and Shivani then promote the live audio simulcast of the pay-per-view that's available on the internet. Nice. Have you heard about this internet, Dave? <laughs> Looks pretty sweet. 
and <laughs> and we're also introduced to the the very aggravating thing what? that their website's wcwwrestling.com. <laughs> yes. yes, which <laughs> it stands for World Wrestling World Championship Wrestling Wrestling.com. Which back then annoyed me when I was like fourteen. Yeah, and it still annoys me to this day. I mean, I don't know if like WCW just wasn't available. Yeah, I mean, why on earth wouldn't you just take WCW? Because it's so easy just to type that in. But yeah. I, I, it's baffling. It would have been better, even though it's only one of their properties. To WCWNitro.com, instantly better. So right. much shorter, not redundant. Yeah, it's it's insane. Right. Uh, speaking of going on the internet, some complete internet like jabroni (laughs) intern is helping chris jericho out uh using the chat on CompuServe, and i'm i love that it's i believe since the steiners were pretending to play video games on the computers yeah that they started using this intern gimmick where they're like right all right clearly these guys can't even pretend (laughs) to use a chat room (laughs) so now we have a guy who knows how to use a keyboard Mm. who interprets for them i also think it's funny because i feel like at his age, Chris Jericho probably knows how to do that sort of thing. Yeah, he had a himself. blog for years when he was, uh, I think, even at this time. I might be mistaken on that. Mm-hmm. But Jericho maintained a blog for a very long time. He was one of the few guys that did that. CM Punk, another one. Yep. That comes later. But, yeah, there was there was a time when a lot of these guys, and now it's podcasts, I think, are like the new, the new kind of blog for these guys. Right. Back to Mike Tanay, who is now joined by the new cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko. And we are back in the locker room area with the newly crowned WCW cruiserweight champion, Dean Malenko. Very hard-fought victory to open up Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc against Rey Mysterio Jr. I guess the question has to be at this point, what's in your future as the new champion? Well, Mike, first things first. You know, a month ago, I had told everybody in WCW and the watches out there, and especially you, Rey Mysterio, I was going to be more focused than ever when I got to the city of Las Vegas and that I was not going to leave the MGM building without this cruiserweight belt in my hands. Now, Rey Mysterio and anybody else who wants to step in line and get a crack at this belt, just take a ticket, wait in line, any chance you want, I'm there for it. This is what I want, this is what I got, and this is what I'm going to keep. So in other words, an opportunity for a rematch for Rey Mysterio Jr. is something that you would enjoy as well? Rey Mysterio, it doesn't matter who it is. This is mine, it's going to stay here, and I'll take on any comers that want a chance to take it away from me. The man of a thousand holds, Dean Malenko. He's the new cruiserweight championship in world championship wrestling. And now we understand that we are going to go to a special NWO interview with the Giant. It's up next. Malenko cuts a pretty babyface promo, I've got to say, Mm -hmm. saying that he's been saying that he'd promised that he'd be more focused than ever and win the belt tonight. And Ray and everyone else can now line up and get title shots as he's more than happy to defend and keep his new championship. Although, uh, I, though I kind of felt like there was his way of saying that, like, Mysterio, you're going to have to get back in line. Like, he wasn't sure. I mean, he said, like, I think he said, you know, I'd be fine with a rematch. He but, does. He does. Tanae says, like, would you have a rematch? And he's like, yeah, Mysterio, anybody. He's yeah. like got the Bret Hart fighting champion gimmick, except he's a heel. Right. <laughs> Tanae then tosses it to what's billed as a special NWO interview with the Giant, which turns out to be Ted DiBiase, Mike in hand, standing in the crowd alongside the Giant. Jeff Jarrett, I gave you credit for being a lot smarter than you really are. And my first clue that you're not too bright is when you refused the opportunity to join the NWO. Because the NWO is taking over World Championship Wrestling. And the only way you get in the NWO is by invitation. And you could have been one of the chosen few, and you said no. 
not very smart. But you know, now I realize that not only are you not very smart, but you're a total fool. Because anybody would buy a line from Ric Flair and make him feel like you're getting some privilege by taking his place to climb in the ring to face the most awesome force in professional wrestling today, the NWO's U.S. heavyweight champion, the Giant. You, my friend, are a total fool. Even Flair is not fool enough to climb in the ring with this man by himself. And Giant, what was it? I think the last thing that Jeff Jarrett said to the NWO was, stick it. And that's pretty good advice when you think about it. Because Jeff Jarrett, I'm going to stick you to the wall. I'm going to stick you to the floor. I'll stick you to the ceiling. That's a fight, bro. And when bro. it's all said and done, I'm going to choke slam you right in the middle. When it's all over, there will be no Jeff Jarrett, and there will be no horseman. Everybody goes to the glue factory. Wow. Enough said. Yes. Get ready, Jarrett. You're going down. So immediately from their uh, interview location, the members of the NWO, the Giant. Now let me make this point. And we all Ted starts out confusingly giving credit to Jeff Jarrett for, quote, being a lot smarter than you really are. <laughs> Dave, you're a lot handsomer than you actually are. Did you know that? Oh, I, I, I don't know if you insulted me or complimented me. <laughs> DiBiase chides Jarrett for refusing an invitation to join the NWO, which, as far as I know, is the first we've heard about that. Uh, he debuted, and the announcers thought he might be in the NWO, but then he mm. wasn't. But we never saw him get invited, so I feel like that's new information for us. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I guess I didn't really think about that. Uh, DiBiase then gets completely lost in the weeds of his own promo about how Jarrett's a fool. Uh, he's... He just, like, he does this thing, it's, it's a Luger-esque thing, where, like, you kind of follow his sentence, and it's just like he's always on the precipice where you're like, this, ju he's barely keeping coherence, and, like, at mm -hmm. any moment, this could just tumble off a cliff. And it's kind of surprising. I talked about this on Twitter a little bit the other day with some people. Uh, I th it's He's supposed to be the talker of this group. Like, that's his, he's not a wrestler. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that when you take away the the ability to focus on a gimmick like the million dollar man like make jokes about money talk about how rich you are talk about limousines and private mm -hmm. jets when you take away something like that that he can focus on and it's just like hey go talk about how the giants gonna beat jeff jarrett he's he has much less of an ability to do that than he did as the million dollar man and focus yeah. on that gimmick aspect but i i think that he does a much better job later on too because he shows up a few times and and i noted that i think the um, before the tag team title match, I felt like his promo sure. there was really good. Maybe it could yeah. be, could be just I don't I don't know the giant very well. Yeah. I don't know how to really hype him up. Maybe it's just this match was like I just I don't know where I'm going with this. Sure. Referencing Jared's referencing Jared's declaration that the NWO can stick it. Giant says he's going to stick Jared to the wall and a variety of other places before choke slamming him at which point there will no longer be a Jeff Jarrett or the Horseman. Apparently, he's going to chokeslam Jeff Jarrett so hard mm -hmm. that a group that he is not a member of is going to disband. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's impressive. That's going to be quite the chokeslam. Well, this this also kind of goes with the Giants' tendencies of, like, like 
very exaggerated ways that he describes like the way he'll punish people. Yeah. It's just kind of like that's been his style so far. So I, I was kind of, I was fine with like the idea that, that he's like, I'm just going to mount you up on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Giant then heads down the steps straight through the crowd into the ring. Uh, The NWO are going to do their entrances like that all night. Mm. They'll, they'll all kind of stand there. DiBiase will talk about them. They'll cut a promo, except for the Outsiders. They don't cut their own promo, but every other NWO member cuts their own promo yeah. after DiBiase talks, and then they walk down the steps of the ring. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it's like, of all the guys that didn't cut their promos, it's like the, the best two are the ones that don't, Yeah, and literally everyone else does. Now, the Giant is in possession of Ric Flair's U.S. title. Yep. Um, we had mentioned in that uh, segment where they were all hanging out in the hotel and a big gift came and we never saw the contents mm-hmm. and the giant declared it was the U.S. title. Um, that So that must have been him actually getting possession of the belt. Yeah. Although I think that happened the week before they injured Flair, so somehow they got the title before attacking him. Uh, anyway, f- the, the story is that Flair is still the champion, but of mm-hmm. course he's not going to be able to defend in 30 days. So the championship committee is going to have to decide what to do. The Giant is not the champion. This mm-hmm. is not a title match. Uh, however, Nick Patrick holds up the belt as if it is, and the announcers are just completely, they're just, Shivani's so mad. Yeah, He's yes. so mad that they are daring to treat this like a title match. Like, I barely noticed that he did that, yeah. <laughs> except that Tony has to point it out. So like, <laughs> yeah. you're not helping things. You're just making people notice this thing that no one else was <laughs> noticing. But um, also, if you're if you're like, excited or looking forward to when they're going to determine what happens with the U.S. title, you have a wait still. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, Dusty, for some reason, says that a lot of people call Jeff Jarrett the giant killer. Like, because he beat Big Ron Studd? That's the yeah. only big man that we've seen him wrestle. Yeah, I have a note here. The quote is, many, many people call Jeff Jarrett the giant killer. In which I say, no, they don't. That's uh, No one calls him that. <laughs> I don't try to get into this stuff too much on the show, but that is such a Trump-esque way of talking. Right. Just, like, take a thing that you personally think or want to make people think is a thing, and then just say, like, oh, yeah, everyone's saying that. And it's like, no, no one is saying that. Well, he, he's what one other... There is only one other giant, and it's a guy who sucks and gets beat all the time. I was about to say, if you're considered a giant killer for being, like, Big Ron Stud, Yeah. Or whatever his name is, that's Ron Stud, right? Big Ron Stud, yep. Yeah. Like, half the roster are giant killers. <laughs> Benoit is a giant killer. Savage is a giant killer. Yes. <laughs> as, we, as we mentioned last, on the last episode, like, that was the, the rite of passage in right. order to face yes. the giant. <laughs> uh, Jarrett comes out next, then Ric Flair to watch the match. Jarrett looks good early with some dodging uh, the lunges of the giants and hitting some struts. Hitting some struts. Just strutting. Doing oh. some strutting. This was a point when when uh, Flair came out. That's when we see the Rick Tombstone. Oh right, yes. Yeah. Um, and also, this is when I noticed that one tombstone just says "dead," another <laughs> one says "farewell," and another one says "beloved?" <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, uh, is that the death of these words? Like that doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> the what con- is the what concept is- of being beloved? <laughs> right. There's a couple tomb like there's Elvis. And there's Rick. Yeah. You know, the two primary, like, personalities of our, of our world. Yeah, the most famous people in history were Elvis and Rick. And Rick. <laughs> After who, the, who is not Ric Flair? It's very sp- clearly specified. Right. <laughs> it's just that other famous guy named Rick. But after that, they're like, I don't know any other names. Let's just put on, <laughs> let's just use words. 
Uh, Jared tries a side headlock, but the giant picks him up, or as I wrote in my notes, licks him up. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> and tosses him down. <laughs> Jared finally gets the sleeper on, and uh, after that, they go just back and forth with easy stuff, strikes, punches, chops, clubber, and blows. Uh, giant headbutts Jeff Jared in the balls for a big crowd reaction. By the way, Jeff Jared just he doesn't know if he should act like a heel yes. or act like a face during the match. When I think he's well established as being a face, so he should be doing the face stuff. But he just—I don't know if, it, if it's like his original tendency is like I like doing heel things, so I'll just kind of throw heel things in there anyway. Yeah, it, it's just very baffling that he doesn't understand. Like you, you should be picking one or t- or the other of these things. Yeah. For some reason, Flair suddenly has a microphone, and he just, like, very briefly kind of encourages Jarrett to kick the Giants' NWO ass. Mm -hmm. Then he hands the mic back, and he never has it again. It's not, like, a part of the match or anything. It's just a very brief little moment. It's just, I think, like, Flair should just have a sign that says, please, please, please cheer Jeff Jarrett because I'm injured and we need to build someone up. Right. And also, I feel like that uh, Flair out there has, like, this goal of, like, we don't know how well how good this match is going to be. Yeah, make sure to keep people excited about yes. it because he's also like strutting and just doing what he can to kind of like add a little bit of like flair to the match, I suppose. Ah. Ah. Giant catches a Jarrett crossbody attempt and hits the most gentle backbreaker that I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, Tony is forced to say, ah, "He didn't hit him that hard." And he hits a second one that's better. I think yeah. the Giant was like, ah, "Shit, I better I better <laughs> right. do something here." <laughs> Jared escapes a bear hug by biting the giant. You gotta bite, says Dusty. <laughs> you just <laughs> you gotta bite. When it comes down to it, <laughs> you just gotta bite. <laughs> Jared goes for a drop kick attempt, but the giant cuts it off. Uh, eventually, he he finally gets him with a drop kick, and the giant starts his wobble selling. Yeah, that big guys love to do, where it's like, oh, am I gonna fall down? Oh, one more double axe handle might do it. <laughs> <Right>. Whoa. <laughs> And it's always dumb, but the Giants, like, especially bad at it. Yeah. His selling is just kind of always pretty terrible at, at this point in his career. Uh, eventually, we get a crossbody for two, and then Jarrett tries to figure four of the Giant, but the Giant kicks him to the outside. Giant dives at Jarrett on the outside, but hits the ring post, uh, sells it as if there is no Slim Jim padding. Mm-hmm. Jarrett then puts on the figure four on the outside, but the Giant uh, gets him in the, the... He goozles him, he grabs him for the choke slam. Flair low blows the giant to stop the choke slam, and the match just ends in a disqualification win for the giant. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? Outrun the four horsemen to protect the baby faces who just blatantly cheated rather than lose a fair fight. Right. The announcers love to see the NWO's tactics used against them, but this feels completely hollow since the giant had not cheated at all, mm-hmm. and no one else from the NWO is there. Uh, they hit the giant in the dick rather than take a loss and then immediately gang up on him. Right. And they're all in the ring challenging the giant to come in and fight like six dudes. And Shivani's like, yeah, let's see how brave the NWO is now. And it's not the <laughs> NWO. It's one guy. It's the giant. Like, right. fuck off. It's very strange. It's very weird booking. While the horsemen loiter around the ring, Jarrett is desperately trying to get a shot of him and Flair facing the hard cam so that Flair can raise his arm in victory. One more, like, one more of just the thousands of endorsements that Flair is supposed to give Jarrett on the show, apparently. Yeah. Um, just one one note I had for the match. Um, yeah. there's, like, there's one of those instances in which Dusty Rhodes says something, and then a moment later, Bobby Heaton basically makes the same point. 
Oh yeah, and, and that's where the thing where it's like Dusty Rhodes is like, I just said that. Yeah, uh, in which Bobby Heenan's like, well. I'm just saying in English, whereas you speak in cow pasture, <laughs> which I like the idea of yeah. cow pasture being a language. Yeah, that's good. Jarrett is uh, so obsessed with getting that rub from Flair that I was talking about that he nearly makes Flair's shoulder injury worse as he grabs the hand belonging to the injured arm mm-hmm. and starts to raise it. And Flair has to quickly reach out with his other hand and stop the arm raise. Yeah. And then <laughs> so now he's like. He's standing next to Jarrett, and he has to reach all the way across his body with his good arm and raise his hand. It looks incredibly awkward. They never even cut to the hard cam angle, so they're just doing this from the side. So it's completely ruined. And, yeah, Jeff Jarrett almost exacerbated this uh, rotator cuff injury just so he could get his own arm raised by the nature boy. It's ridiculous. Which also, it's like, wow, that must be a pretty serious injury if he's, like, unwilling to just even raise the arm. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We see a replay of the low blow where Bobby claims it was just the reflexes of Flair's bad arm misfiring. <laughs> Good, I'm glad, says Tony Schiavone. <laughs> They're such dicks. Right. The replay also shows some of that milling around that the horseman did uh, in the ring that I was just talking about. And this time you can see that in order to turn Flair towards the hard camera, Jarrett just grabbed Flair by the bad shoulder and pulled him around. <laughs> Damn, dude. If they gave Jeff Jarrett notes before the match, he clearly didn't listen to any of them. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) this match was, like, fine. It was, you know, longer than it probably should have been given uh, how green the Giant still is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's pay-per-view, and I get that they are, um, you know, I think there's sort of like a... They they give, like, a pay-per-view length. Yeah, exactly. There's just expectations when Mm -hmm. you're on a pay-per-view. So they were dealing with that. Um, it wasn't bad. I didn't think this was terrible. The ending was terrible. The yeah. ending was just awful because they don't want to beat either man right now because Jarrett's too new and they're trying to make him such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But you also can't just go around beating the giant because he needs to be huge, especially since he lost the belt to Hogan and then just joined up with Hogan <laughs> like, yeah. right after. So it I probably would have been better if this it, match had just never been booked, really. Well, I, I think it would have made more sense if the giant got himself disqualified doing something to Jared, yeah. which would cause the horsemen to show up. Like, that would have made a bit more sense. I mean, I, I kind of understand the fact that originally it was going to be the giant versus Ric Flair, which yeah. they, that's probably one of the guys the giants face the most. Right. And that would have been fine. And this is sort of, like, put together at the last moment. And these two, as far as I know, didn't even really get like house shows or anything like that to work w- with each other so yeah um all things considered i like you said fine i think <laughs> it's once again time for a pre-match nwo promo and this time ted dibiase is joined by six well the way i see it that's one mark in the win column for the nwo tonight that's what i thought we'll take it any way we can get it horseman you knew that was the only way that Jeff Jarrett would climb out of that ring alive. Well, it's one down and three to go. Chris Jericho, you're next. And we'll take nothing from you. You're a fine athlete. Great speed, great agility. You're a great athlete, but you're a great athlete that's at the right place at the wrong time. But you're gonna get a chance to get better tonight because the only way you get better is by climbing in the ring with the best. And you're climbing in the ring with the best cruiserweight when you climb in the ring with six. Tell him six. Bottom line, Chris Jericho, you're a fine young athlete. But tonight, 
you will be crucified for the sins of WCW, pal. The Cruiserweight title will soon be in the hands of the NWO. And the NWO, as everybody knows, is for life, baby! If the NWO says it, you can take it to the bank. Go get him, Six. DiBiase says that that's one mark in the win column for the NWO. I like that because the, the announcers are all proud of what just happened. Yeah. And DiBiase's like, hey, we won the match, so right. good. As far as I'm concerned, that's one for the NWO. And he's right. He's right to feel that way. And, you know, it, I mean, they're pretending they're they're saying like the Giants champion because he has possession of the belt. Yeah, right. And in that way, disqualification, he'd still be champion. <laughs> so. That's true. DiBiase then praises Jericho as a fine athlete who has great speed and agility and who is a great athlete. <laughs> Him and Six, their promos yeah. are like, we don't know who you are really. So <laughs> he, then, he then says Jericho is a great athlete at the right place at the wrong time. <laughs> so I guess Jericho is a great athlete who should be at the MGM Grand, but just not during the pay-per-view. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he should be on that boxing card next month. I don't I don't know. DiBiase says that Jericho has a chance to get better by climbing into the ring with Six. Six also praises Jericho as a fine young athlete, <laughs> but promises tonight he will be crucified for the sins of WCW. Yeah, that, that really took a turn. It was a little over the top. Yeah. Especially for this match, which has had very little, like, mm-hmm. uh, intense. They've cut some promos, but there hasn't been, like, a huge intense build for this. I mean, at that point, six, what it was like, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. I was just impressed that he figured out that analogy without (laughs) fucking it up. So six also claims that he will soon get the cruiserweight title for the NWO, which is, as you know, for life, baby. (laughs) Six then heads down the steps to the ring. Now, uh, as opposed to the last few matches, I have very little notes for this because I thought this match was boring as hell and nothing happened. Like, I was shocked. I, yeah. It was really just lame. Yeah. I mean, it's like another one that's fine, but yeah. it's also doesn't really showcase either guy. I don't yeah. feel like either of them hit, like, any real, like, trademark moves or anything like yeah. that. Um, the I deal did, is that it's it's more of an angle about Nick Patrick than it is a proper match. Right. And I think that affected what they did as wrestlers because they're like, they know what the finish is. They know what the focus is going to be. So why should they blow uh, all their stuff when they could probably have a better match down the road if they're given, like, 20 minutes in a cruiserweight title match or something? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and plus, it's like, Six is also one of the new acquisitions of which, like, why wouldn't they have him on the pay-per-view doing something? Right. Yep. Um, I did make a note here that Bobby Keenan at the very beginning mistakenly said that Six is making his wrestling debut. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, just the fact that uh, here's Chris Jericho, who we will be seeing wrestle in this arena 23 years afterwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so we start with some quick and relatively simple back and forth. I like You're going to be shocked by how few notes I have, or maybe you won't, I don't know. We then get uh, Conan, who's shown in the crowd, along with Kevin Sullivan, who is just wearing a button-up pink shirt and a black sport coat over it. No, no Taskmaster stuff at all. I, I said that Kevin Sullivan in his suit is by far the best fashion statement we've seen him make. Since, oh, yeah, for sure. It, since our Monday Nitro journey started. <laughs> and I thought it, it's a generally it's it's a pretty straightforward look. It's a good look for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Big Bubba is also sitting behind them. 
Uh, this match is boring forever until eventually Nick Patrick starts doing very slow counts on Jericho's falls, mm-hmm. including a one count after a lion salt. Uh, the announcers eventually start counting uh, themselves on the pins and get to a six after a Jericho springboard crossbody. Do you get it? Do you oh. get it? I don't think that was intentional. That they <laughs> like how would how would Nick Patrick know that they counted all the way to six? No, no it. It wasn't intentional. It's just like, yeah. um, I think Heenan got to six and someone else was like, oh, right. Oh. Like his name. <laughs> then uh, six gets a spin kick and Patrick is right there for a not a not a fast count, but like it just shows that he was playing possum. He's totally fine. He can count three right away. Six wins. So I thought this was a very forgettable match. Uh, I just think they didn't go all out because of the finish. Um, it's not that it was bad necessarily. It just I felt like there was not a lot happening like that lion salt was was probably the biggest thing because you don't really see that a lot. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. He's I would say that he hasn't hit it, but then I'm sure like somebody's going to be like, "Actually, he's hit it in the last 3 matches and you've called all of them." I don't remember, but yeah. It it's still new enough, especially in 96 to audiences where like that's a big spot, but just nothing else really blew me away in this match at all. What uh, did you think? Well, I I thought it was it was better than the last couple of matches we got just cuz it's a little bit uh faster paced. Um, and, it, and it seemed like these guys have a, a little bit of a better chemistry than than um, especially Jarrett versus the Giant. But also I was like, yeah, that was fine. Moving on. Yeah. I mean, it kind of like I said, I think the whole point was like six is one of the new acquisitions. They want to make sure he had a match. Yeah. Jericho is available. That was pretty much the whole thing. And, and also to make sure that six is wrestling cruiserweight so he can be the guy pursuing the cruiserweight title since they don't have any other cruiserweights in the NWO. Patrick helps six to the back, and we go to Mike Tanay, who is backstage with Lex Luger. Thanks very much, Tony. Total package, Lex Luger. Showdown time is here. Your rivalry really intensified with Arn Anderson, and you've promised tonight at Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc not only to defeat Arn Anderson, but to hurt the man and put him up in that torture rack. You know, really didn't need to come down to this. But Arn, you wanted to start pointing fingers. You wanted to lay the blame for war games, so be it. I said I'd accept the blame, but that wasn't good enough for you. So you had to throw down the gauntlet. You planted the seeds, Arn, and now the crop has harvested, and it's not a garden of flowers. It's cactus. It's thickets of things that you'll never want to see from Lex Luger, because Arn Anderson, you've questioned my intestinal fortitude. You've questioned my courage. You've tested everything and questioned everything that I stand for. And now, Arn, you're going to see a total package that you've never seen before. You've seen a man that is going to come unglued. It's time for the total package. Somebody in WCW to make a stand around here. I'm sick and tired of everybody running each other down, jumping each other's backs. Well, now, Arn Anderson, you're going to see a side of me. Oh, my gosh, Arn Anderson. You know what? I'm going to the ring right now with one intent. I'm going to say it one more time. It didn't have to come this, but Arn, I'm not only going to beat you, I'm not only going to rack you, but I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to hurt you. The time is here. Let's go to the ring and Dave Penzer for Lex Luger and Arn Anderson. Lex says that it shouldn't have come to this, but Arn blamed him for war games. And though Lex accepted responsibility, Arn wanted to plant the seeds. But now the crops have been harvested. And Dave, it's not a garden of flowers, but it's instead it's a cactus <laughs> and a thicket of things that you would never want to see from Lex Luger. What? Yeah, that's... Uh, remember when I talked about how uh, Lex Luger... Thicket of things? <laughs> remember how I said in his promos, it's always like a razor wire that he's walking where it's just like 
any move in the wrong direction, he's toppling off that tightrope. Uh -huh. That's this promo. He's like, the seeds were planted. Okay, I'm with you. The harvest has come. Okay, I got it. Uh -huh. It's not a garden of flowers. And then you're like, okay, well, no one would harvest a garden of flowers, <laughs> so I'm, you're kind of losing it. <laughs> Instead, it's a cactus uh -huh. and a <laughs> thicket of things. A thicket of things. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> he just totally loses it. Uh, he then says Arn is about to see a total package that he's never seen before, but given how close Arn and Flair are and how Flair loves not wearing pants, I doubt that's the case. Patrick helps Six walk to the back, and we go to Mike Tanay, who... Oh, never mind. I already said all that. Uh, <laughs> you, were, you were lost <laughs> in the thicket of things, weren't you? Luger is so sick of seeing everyone in WCW argue. So sick of it, in fact, that he promises to hurt Arn Anderson and put him permanently out of action. That'll show them. Yeah, no one will argue after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, this is something I don't have a lot of notes on. Um, it's just what I just for this one, I wrote the notes on the matches that excited me or were notable for some reason. Right. Uh, what I have here is a we get a big spine buster halfway in. I know you expect that with Arn Anderson, but this is like an especially notable mm -hmm. uh, spine buster. Uh, Art Anderson, of course, uh, in the news, he just got fired over the last couple days by WWE. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that they're trying to like go with a younger age when it comes to the producers. Yeah, like uh, but Bruce, I Bruce decide... Richard, that spring chicken. Right. <laughs> but also, they, they fired him just before he could have been on Raw for Ric Flair's yes. uh, birthday. Yeah, which... that's bizarre. <laughs> uh, I said on Twitter, though, and, and I'll say it here for the non-Twitter followers, I think a lot of people acted or like were like, oh, no, like you, how could they do this? He's a legend. They're never going to be able to get on without Arn. I think like as much as Arn, I love him and, and going through the WCW, he's like what an un, uh, even though everyone loves Arn, it feels ridiculous to call him underrated. But he is like he, the guy, man's an absolute legend. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still think like refreshing your producers and your agents every once in a while is a yeah. good thing. That should happen. Um Maybe firing him from the company outright is not the way to do it. Maybe you find something else that he could do, work uh, as a trainer in NXT or something. Mm. Um, but I don't think that just refreshing your your people, just like refreshing the talent every few years is necessary. I think refreshing the people that are helping put together the finishes is necessary as well. Yeah. But it also seems like a thing where it's like if you just hired a bunch of people that are going to be like very dependent on how your product turns out, maybe let that let, let it. Maybe you should see how that pans out a little bit first. Sure. Before assuming like, oh, we could get rid of all the old people now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, it's just kind of like one of those bizarre like, like how much time has passed because he was hired like right when WCW was purchased. Yeah. And it's like he's out of WWE after 18 years. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, also, I made a note as far as this match is concerned that Double A is sporting a very timely hog wild jean vest. Oh, nice. Um, and then I also like the fact that Tony Schiavone um, not only mentioned Lex Luger uh, racking Roblox, which yeah. I wouldn't have expected a second reference to Roblox, but he was also still making excuses for him not like racking him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know if someone was like, hey, we, we got to emphasize here. <laughs> that was part <laughs> of his plan. Um, and then also right when the match started, uh, Tony and Dusty very openly get distracted because the uh, sexy ring attendants pass by. Oh, their... yeah, that's right. And I was just like, <laughs> just we don't see anything. It, you're like, we're looking at the ring and then Dusty just goes like, Ooh. <laughs> right. And they're like, what's that? The, and he's like the ring. And Tony, who is also, as we know from his podcast, very horny. Right. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, those ring attendants walk. Like 
they're just very horny for like a minute. Yeah. Bobby the Brain Heenan, the one man who keeps his dignity and does not need to talk about it. As I recall, I don't. Do you remember Bobby saying anything? I just remember Tony and Dusty. No, no, he's he was probably just reaching for that flask of his. <laughs> but like, you know, that is something that as not as much as I can remember. Even though he's the heel announcer, Bobby never goes down that path. He's like a happily married man. He's got kids. I think there's like a line that it seems to me that Bobby is cro- like drawn that where he's not really gonna like do the you know tongue on the floor oh heart yeah thumping out of the chest i'm so horny for the nitro girls or whatever right no he <laughs> and he usually goes with like you know he's very uh like gentlemanly about yes. like complimenting how like like woman looks great like yes that sort of yes. thing but yeah no he's never been like like distracted during a match because yeah. of like Kimberly Page or something like Meanwhile, that. Meanwhile, our babyface announcers are both just are like <laughs> over women that like we can't even see them. They're not a part of the show. <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like Dusty just doesn't realize like he should have had self control. But then Tony's <laughs> like, well, if he mentions it, <laughs> yes. then it's okay for me to mention it. Uh, meanwhile, back to the match. Bobby says that Arn can't use his legs. Uh, he's like selling that Arn has gotten injured legs, and he says it right as Arn runs across the ring and shoves Lex to the outside. Right. Thought that was funny. Uh, on the outside, a fan spills popcorn all over Luger when Luger's lying on the ground. That was funny. <laughs> uh, we get like the worst slingshot of all time when Lex really makes sure, like, he spends ages making sure that there's enough room to slingshot Arn into the ring post without, like, hitting himself. Hmm. And then, I don't know if it's just without the spring of the ring or something, It it's just so slow, and Arn is a little older, his back's not great. Yeah. So the slingshot is in slow motion. It's just, like, it's agonizingly bad. And I, I don't remember the last time these guys faced each other. I know we've done it, a match with them before, yeah. which they've had an issue with the slingshot in particular before. Because Luger, what Luger did was, like, he didn't put his knees in the position. Mm-hmm. Like, he was kind of, like, wide-legged, so he didn't, like, like there was nothing to prop up Arn, so he kind of had to, like, struggle to his feet to, like, sell it. Sure. And it it seemed like maybe that was something they should have cut out out of their matches, but nope. Uh, Luger then gets the torture rack, and he just keeps it on. He won't release it. This right. is, uh, you know, he promised to hurt Arn. Uh, we've been told and we're, we're told kind of uh, tonight and, and throughout tomorrow on Nitro as well that like this is this new intense side of Luger. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he wrestled the match much more intensely, but the keeping the rack on is sort of a new thing. And we've seen even that from Sting. I remember there was a time when he was teasing a little darker edge to the character by not by keeping the death lock on a little longer. Uh, but yeah, so Arn has pissed Luger off enough, attacked him with that chair recently. Uh, and so this looks like he's he's out for some revenge here. And it's also it was also interesting because the the Dungeon of Doom that are at ringside yeah. are like shouting for him, not only to rack him, but to keep racking him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also like it's one of those things where it's like Kevin Salva is just so loud. Yeah. That you could you could hear him clear as day telling him to do that. And so it's like a kind of an interesting little twist there because he used to be in the dungeon. Yeah, it is like a callback to Lex being like at, at the very least dungeon adjacent for a few weeks there. Right. Uh, Arn sells a bunch after the match as if Luger uh, has really lived up to his promise of hurting him. Mm. Out come Flair and Jeff Jarrett. Arn gets the full stretcher job with the announcers for some reason using the entire angle uh, to rag on the medical staff. <laughs> like they're attending to Arn and they're like, well, that's a WCW trainer so-and-so, but we need a doctor. He's he's just a trainer. He's not a doctor. 
And then they're putting him on the stretcher, and they're like, I can't believe they're not making his neck more steady. Like, look at this sloppy job they're doing. Right. It's just really weird that that's what they're focusing on. And it's another case of Heenan, like, overselling what he thinks the problem is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as you might remember from Fall Brawl when he was like, Luger broke his back. Yeah, yes. And now he's saying, like, he hasn't moved the uh, the the right arm. Yeah, he hasn't moved that in a while. <laughs> trying to, you know, just right. trying to insist that he has, like, paralysis or something like that when when very clearly, like, he toppled himself down to the mat when he was out of the torture rack. So I'm not really buying the fact that he's, like, paralyzed or anything. Right. But also he, like, he knows the one that was like, you really need to support that back there. So, you know, if you're going to do a structure job, it's not in your best interest to make it sound like it's a shitty stretch job. <laughs> yes. Backstage, Lee Marshall plugs the hotline for a sting update. In comes Harlem Heat with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. Tony, thank you very much. Well, fans all around the world have been waiting to see a particular interview. I've got that coming up. But I also want to remind everybody the greatest wrestlers in the world are right here. But a man that is well, quite obvious by his absence, the man called Sting. Well, the most well-known free agent in all of professional wrestling. What's going on with Sting? Well, to find out, call the WCW hotline, 1-900-909-9900. You'll find everything you need to know about Sting. Calls are $1.49 a minute, and kids, don't forget, get your parents' permission before you call, but do make that call right now. Coming up at the Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, the WCW Tag Team Championship of the World is going to be contested. The man who brought this team together, the woman who managed them so successfully. I'm talking about Harlem Heat and Colonel. I know you know a lot about getting horses ready for a race. I hope you got these guys ready to defend I these got belts. Them ready. Never in all my years have I seen a worse bunch of bad eggs put together than this NWO, these outsiders. You're desperately needing reprimanding, and tonight you're going to get it by the world's tag team champion. WCW can be very proud tonight because you're riding on the coattails of the greatest team in all the world, the Harlem Heat. Uh, let me get to Sherry for a second. Sherry, we know that any team can beat any team on any given day. This has got to be Harlem Heat's day. This is going to be Harlem Heat's day. This is what Harlem Heat lives, eats, and breathes for. NWO, you had the audacity to stick your nose where it didn't belong. Well, you wanted some of Harlem Heat? You're going to find out what hurt really is. Uh, let's find out what's on the mind of these men. Shut up, man. You know, like all great football teams, everybody has a position. You know, I'm at the running back, big brother here at Nose Guard, sister Sherry quarterback. And the colonel put this whole thing together. NWO, a couple of wannabe thugs. When you walking across 110th Street and me and my brother, guess what? We going to jump you two suckers in tonight. Harlem style, tell them, baby. If you want some of us, get them ready, because we will be waiting at the ring, sucker. Everybody is ready. In fact, let's go to the ring for more great action. <laughs> All right, Lee, thanks a lot. And that match killed Parker cuts a promo on the NWO, which is kind of a weird thing to see. Mm -hmm. It's like this weird in-between time where we've got big, broad characters like Parker, but also the more gritty, realistic guys like the NWO. Right. It's just like, it's uh, chalk and cheese. It's just a weird, weird mashup to see. Yeah. Sherry promises that today is Harlem Heat's day and also threatens the NWO. Booker claims that he's the running back of the team, Stevie Ray is the nose guard, Sherry is the QB, and the Colonel put the whole team together. Yeah, I really like uh, how progressive he is, putting Sister Sherry at the quarterback yeah, position. Yeah. And also that uh, Stevie Ray's just the nose guard. Yes, that was very <laughs> funny to me. Also funny that he didn't say that Parker was the coach or the 
the general manager. He just put the team together. I, I felt <laughs> I felt like he was insinuating like he'd be the owner of the team, but sure. he didn't really I think that he wasn't coming up with the word. Or maybe they've learned from that whole thing where he would bring them out in chains that they shouldn't imply that Colonel Parker owns the Harlem <laughs> Heat. <laughs> maybe that's a lesson that they learned. I would like if that was a very subtle callback of like learning from that mistake. <laughs> Stevie Ray says that they'll be waiting in the ring, but there's a match before that one, so they're going to be waiting for a while, I guess, or <laughs> they'll just be waiting during the next match. I'm not sure. You said it was Lee Marshall, or was it... Um... That was Lee Marshall, yeah. Yeah, I like that um, Lee Marshall like kind of led for booker t to talk yeah and then booker t's like shut up <laughs> yes well he's like no i did yeah i, I ask you questions I, that's <laughs> what i it's my job <laughs> out come the faces of fear as we're told that arn is being taken via ambulance to the hospital and that flair has gone with him uh they definitely make a big deal of pointing that out so i imagine that that's going to come back into play uh, flair and jared by the way yes and dusty literally says uh regarding the horseman being mean to lex that bad deeds are going to come back to haunt them. So, uh, like, I'm just saying it's, it's a big foreshadowing. Like, it's beyond foreshadowing. It's things... The horsemen were mean. Mm. Uh, we saw that some comeuppance came and that bad things are still going to happen to them. Like, he may oh. as well just be like, stay tuned later because this is coming back into play. Oh, okay. Also, the... Continuing the theme of wrestlers with vests on, I like the faces of fear with these giant skulls. Yeah, and on their uh, vests. the skulls uh, on the vest and the pants, I thought had kind of a bullet clubby look to them, especially the oh, ones on the pants. Yeah. yeah, no, I just it's like it's a good look, and and I like the fact that the faces of fear that they get a, like a little bit of investment in their appearance. Yes, because <laughs> usually it seems like it's like whatever Ming has available. <laughs> Out next are Mongo, Benoit, Deborah, and Woman. Woman is wearing a very cool black dress with swirly silver sequin lines all over it, and uh, Deborah compliments that nicely in all white. Mm -hmm. I kind of like them as the all white. It reminds me of um, Drew Barrymore and... Uh, the other chick from Batman Forever. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it Feruza Balk, or is it just a woman that reminds me of Feruza Balk? I don't know who that is, okay. so maybe. Sure. But, but yes, the no, woman I, from Batman Forever. I got I got like the, the sugar and spice thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for this match, Mongo and Meng start first. Mongo is still very green and very clumsy, but it is fun watching these big men just run straight into each other. Yeah. That's that's great. Just keep doing that. Uh, Mongo is really only out for parts of the beginning, and then Benoit is in there for, like, the entire match, basically. Right, and my this guy here has no complaints yeah. about that. <laughs> yes. Uh, after coming in, Benoit hits a beautiful bridging suplex. Uh, we see that the Dungeon of Doom are still at ringside. Uh, they The Faces of Fear, again, hit the big backdrop into a powerbomb that they hit on Nitro. Mm -hmm. And it actually is a little smoother this time, probably because they're working with Chris Benoit yeah. and not like Robbie Ruckus or whoever the fuck was that took it last time. Wait, did, was that the Fantastics? Yes, you're right. It was. Right. It was the guy from the Fantastics. It's yes. Fantastic number two. <laughs> uh, I... Just I like that from that match where it's like they gave you the names, but you're like, yeah. fuck it, one and two. <laughs> but uh, the, that was also the thing. It was also the case where the fans like erupt, and the barbarians like, oh yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting the love here. <laughs> yes, he's like all fucking hyped up. Barbarian hits a huge belly to belly from the top rope on Benoit. Mm. Uh, it's all Benoit flipping his ass all the way across the ring. Yeah, but it looks great. If you want to see a gif of it, uh, just check my Twitter. Uh, it's that was just a great move. I loved it. Tony says that the uh, one save rule no longer applies in tag matches, which I was unaware of. 
I think what he means is that you can just do as many as you want because the refs never seem to call that. Yeah. Um, not that you're going to disqualify it immediately, but just there's infinite saves now in WCW. Yeah, and and the thing is, like up until like a like a week or so ago, I wouldn't have realized that was a thing. But there's this whole like uh, Twitter deal with the revival. Yes, I've seen them talk about that. In which they talk extensively about like they know all these rules about tag matches, and especially there was like a WWE book that had like official rules. Yes, and they abide by them, and they talked about this like whole save thing. So. Like, my whole wrestling fandom up until, like, a few weeks ago, this would not have made any sense to me. <laughs> sure, yeah. But thanks to the revival, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. I know that thing. Those guys have revived these rules. Hey, now. Uh, so, eventually, this goes, they basically just beat up on Benoit the whole match, hit big uh, faces of fear power moves. Eventually, they hit a vertical suplex splash combo on Benoit and go for a pin. But Mark Curtis is focused on getting Barbarian out of the ring. Mongo uses the opportunity to pull Benoit out from under Meng. Meng then sticks his head between the ropes, like crawling over to try to get at him. Mm-hmm. Mongo hits him in the head with the Halliburton case. Benoit pins him for the one, two, three. Uh, so before we get to the aftermatch angle, uh, let's talk about the match. Uh, I thought it was good. I It was like fine. It was not much more than a TV match. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked as much as they could around Mongo by just keeping him on the apron the whole time. Yeah. Like he did some fun. Um, I guess I, one spot I skipped over, him and Meng do like the full sumo like squat thing. Yeah. And then run into each other. And it's basically just a shoot. Like they're just shoot sumo wrestling. Right. Uh, so that that stuff is fun. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's just power moves on Benoit for like nine minutes until the finish. Yeah. What I liked about this um, is that it fulfilled every expectation that I had coming into it. Yeah. Pretty much is that. That hopefully it would be Benoit in the ring most of the time, which it was. And it's just these just fucking rough customers in the ring just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. And not only that, but, like, I, I tend to feel like the faces of fear are, like, they're a little bit hit and miss when they do their double team moves. Yeah. But on this instance, like, they were nailing everything. Like, I thought that they looked great. Right. Uh, um, and, and, again, like, Steve McMichael wasn't in the ring a whole lot. When it was, it was still notably not good, especially when he was trying to do drop kicks, in which uh, the second time around, Ming was just like, I'm having none of this. Yeah. And he barely deflects it. Like, he doesn't even bother to reverse it. He's just like, no, get out of the ring, get Benoit back in. We don't want any of this. But, um, no, I thought it fulfilled exactly what I expected out of it. So, um, and it wasn't, I don't th- feel like it was painfully long, especially, again, since Michael was on the ringside. Yeah. After the match, the Faces of Fear then attack Mongo with the case. All four men are in the ring, and Jimmy Hart, Conan, Bubba, and Sullivan suddenly jump the rail and hit the ring. Uh, Jimmy Hart doesn't hit the ring. He was at ringside, but uh, the rest of them jumped the rail. I I understood that. (laughs) Well, the audience maybe cares. Right. Conan grabs woman. Mongo is on the receiving end of a pile driver, but Benoit fares better and attacks the Dungeon of Doom outside the ring, quote, like a Wolverine, according to Tony Schiavone. Hey there. The numbers eventually went out. Uh, he, he holds his own for quite a while, but eventually they beat him down. Sullivan gets a couple suitcase shots on Mongo. Tony reminds us that Arn, Flair, and Jeff Jarrett are at the hospital. Wait a second. Those chickens are coming home to roost. Oh, that thing that Dusty said earlier. Woman freaks out and Sullivan approaches her and Jimmy Hart screams, If you would have told him Friday night like you were supposed to, this wouldn't have to happen. 
Sullivan very creepily takes off his shirt to reveal, uh, and I hate using this slang term, but it really fits the situation, a wife beater. Yeah. Uh, and it's really uncomfortable. It's like you're this drunk guy got home and is about to, like, beat up his wife for some reason, except it's happening in a ring in front of 10,000 people. Well, he, he does it in, like, the fashion where it's like, like, the wife knows it's coming. Yeah. That sort of thing where it's like, well, okay, now you're getting what... Yeah, he's, like, eerily calm about it. Like, you just imagine that if this were in, like, a a movie and it wasn't, like, it was in, like, a their house instead of a ring with a bunch of people, he'd just right. be like... Well, now look what you've made me do. Right, just Exa- like, that's kind of what I was trying trying to get at. Yeah, it's it, it's unsettling. It's uncomfortable. I yeah. don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, an area that wrestling doesn't really need to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, and um, and of course, it's like I make one compliment about Kevin Sullivan being yeah. dressed nice, <laughs> yes. and he has to literally slowly take all those clothes <laughs> off. Just <laughs> my Sullivan tells woman regarding Benoit. He's not the man. He's not the man. I'm still the man. And he goes to beat Benoit a bit with some kicks. The horsemen are laid out. Their women tend to them. The Dungeon of Doom leave. And Tony sends it to Ted DiBiase. And that whole that whole comment about, like, if you would have told him on Friday, it yeah. seems like that's something that is supposed to be picked up by the announcers. Yeah. But the announcers do not like they they yeah. know they're supposed to hear something, but they don't under like they don't like translate yeah. whatever it is, and so it goes completely lost. I don't think they know if they're supposed to acknowledge that woman and Sullivan are really married, like because that's what you get when you do this. Like we're we're also working the boys. Like right. well, the announcers are some of the boys, and it, they need to tell the audience what's going on. Otherwise, the only people who have a clue what the story is supposed to be are the guys who are obsessively reading Meltzer, Wade Keller, you know. Right. That's a very tiny percentage of your audience. Yeah. That is not the the segment of your audience to program for. You need to program for the average Joe who just tunes in for this and maybe watches some of Saturday night. Yeah, and I and I know we talked about this back when um when Pillman was around, but it was like Kevin Sullivan learned all the bad lessons from how to do this. Yes, absolutely. But he but it's like too much like uh, a little information could be a bad thing for someone yeah and and now he's like working the boys but not realizing how to make it how to pull it off yeah like for example i i think it would have been better like if they would have told the announcers like kevin like jimmy hart's gonna say this thing yeah make sure to mention it and i'm sure they didn't do that because they they're like they hear something but they don't realize that they need to like like uh focus on it i will like never fully understand the value of working the boys. Right. But I especially don't understand the value of working the boys when the way you want to work them is that guy's fucking my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And also it's, you're never going to, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not a wrestler. I'm not, I wasn't there, but like, how are you expecting to work them when the main parts of this are happening? Like in the ring on camera. Yeah. Like at that point they know it's a work. It doesn't matter if you make woman travel around from town to town with Benoit which mm-hmm. is what he does because he's a fucking moron. Right. But, like, even if they're doing that, the second that something's in the middle of the ring on TV, I know it's part of an angle, and I'm just, like, a douchebag watching at home. Like, there's yeah. no way that canny-ass, like, guys like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall don't look at that and go, like, well, that's a fucking work, bro. Like, <laughs> you know? It's what, dumb. I don't. But, it, but it's also, like, it's working the boys in the, in the sense that Kevin Sullivan, who I is at least doing some sort of like the booking. Yeah. It's yeah. him. It's him not informing people about part of the booking. 
So how can they realize it's like a work or something like that if it's like, no, we didn't know anything about this. Like, so it just translates in what they're doing on in front of the camera is like no one understands like the, the, the concept or like they don't. Yeah. It's, they don't know what they're being worked on pretty much. I think it's very funny. Uh, the way <laughs> that they just immediately go to Ted DiBiase, uh, the horsemen are laying in the ring unconscious right now. The match before this, when the horsemen were laying in the ring unconscious, they got taken to the hospital. Yeah. Benoit and Mongo. It's just like, it just no nobody wrote that into their part of the story so yeah. like that's just not not gonna happen this time <laughs> let's just instead just go see what teddy biasi's up to L- listen there's a ranking of importance of the four horsemen <laughs> and those two are not number one or number two on that list you know maybe the arena just had one stretcher that's they it's it went off to the hospital it hasn't come back yet yeah all right dibiase points out that the nwo are up two to nothing next up are the tag team titles what happened to the NWO uh, tag team tournament or their own titles, by the way? <laughs> right. What happened indeed? Now, maybe, if, and in fairness, maybe if we were watching the NWO Saturday night segments, there'd be an answer to that. I, that's possible. Uh, yeah. But, Anything's possible, really. But that whole thing just sort of petered out, and here they're getting their own shot at the actual tag team titles. Which, in its own way, isn't that kind of like a better plan? I would think so. DiBiase says the NWO do whatever they promise, and the Heat are next in the hit list. He then introduces the outsiders who walk out the concourse and down the arena steps to the ring. And here to call all the action is our own outsider, Dave Amatorp. All right. Um, Well, I only started making notes once uh, both teams were in the ring. So I don't know if there's anything really to note about Harlem Heat showing up besides like, oh, I thought that their like crazy vests were pretty sweet. Sure. Yeah. um, At the beginning, Dusty calls Harlem Heat. Quote, brothers on the road, brothers on the street. And I wonder if he remembers they're supposed to be brothers, period. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems like a bigger point to make. Also, the outsiders, um, what they, they take the titles and they start posing with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a friendly reminder, those belts are garbage. Yeah, I don't like the WCW tag belts. And and also, I, I feel like it's just in Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's like, character, but... The fact is, from the very beginning, the fans are like a thousand percent behind the outsiders. Oh yeah. And not only that, but like Hall and Nash are like eating it up. They're they're just they're going into it like hard. I mean, we've seen uh, that crowds are especially into Hall and Nash because they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also seen that the Harlem Heat are one of the most effective teams at drawing heat from the the Heat and Harlem Heat stands for the heat they get in the you know. The, <laughs> you, <laughs> I couldn't even finish that bullshit. <laughs> uh, You're just like <laughs> <laughs> disgusted with myself. Uh, but yeah, you you get what I'm saying. Like it's it's one of their most effective teams at getting booze against mm. heels who are most often cheered already. So yeah, this is going to be completely flopped around from who should quote unquote should be uh, cheered or booed here. And yeah, not only that, but like. Both teams are are like just their game on for like Harlem Heat's like okay we'll be heels we don't care yeah 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 and, and the outsiders like yeah we'll, we'll go for the cheers right I mean even we'll even acknowledge it if the cheers are for Diesel and Razor which they are for most of the match yeah um so the match itself begins with Scott Hall and Booker T which is hopefully how this match will be ninety nine percent of the time also the fans are distracted very early by a fight between a couple of the fans in the stands by the way. 
It's one of those things where everyone stands up and the announcers don't know what's going on. So they're like, is someone showing up? And then they realize, oh, we should not give any attention to that. Yes. Uh, Hall and Booker T take a take their time to feel each other out, and I'm pretty excited about the idea that maybe these two will have like a singles match in the future. Because I just I just I tend to like their chemistry, and it seems like they have like an immediate like chemistry with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, eventually, Booker T dumps Hall all the ring with the fabled momentum hip toss over the top rope. Stevie Ray clotheslines Hall before throwing him back in the ring, which again. Um, leans on the fact that they're going to play the heels yep. and is rewarded by being tagged in. Hall then spits on Stevie Ray and yeah. tags in Kevin Nash. So I got a little note on that. Uh, apparently he had not told Stevie Ray he was going to do that, mm. and he became a little bit afraid that Stevie Ray, who is huge, yeah, uh, in a real fight. I mean, Scott Hall's huge too, right? but you probably don't want to piss off Stevie Ray in an actual fight or in an opportunity where he could potato you. Yeah. Uh, Harlem Heat are just not guys you're going to fuck with backstage, right? Right. So he became a little afraid. Stevie Ray, though, says that he was totally cool with it. He was just selling it. No big deal. Uh, uh, Stevie Ray, the only thing that he kind of notes about it was it was a little embarrassing because uh, Joe and Catherine Jackson, the parents of Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5, mm. were in the audience specifically to see the heat. Like, they came backstage to visit him and stuff. All right. So he's like, here I am getting spit on by these dudes. Yeah. And then, like, beat by them later. So that was a little embarrassing. But uh, otherwise, uh, the spit thing apparently didn't bother him too much. And then Hall kind of started working it into a lot of his matches after that. Oh, okay. Because it, it was effective. It was a good moment. Yeah. And um, I was just going to – I made a note. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's something about a white guy spinning on a black guy that I find uncomfortably racist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. And yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I just I, I just tend to think that, I mean, I think nowadays people would think twice, but it just, I just don't like the, the, the look of it pretty much. I just, uh, I don't think anybody should be spinning on anybody. <laughs> I just, True. like, honestly, True. It, it never adds that much to me. I'm just like, that's very gross. I didn't like seeing it. Yeah. But like I said, after he spits on him, then he tags in Kevin Nash. Nash gets the early advantage, drilling Stevie Ray with knees and elbows in the corner. But a whip to the opposite corner backfires as Stevie lays Nash out with a clothesline. Stevie then spits on Hall, and at that point is when I realized that he probably took it personally. <laughs> um, Stevie Ray, which when you're saying Stevie Ray said like I didn't take I didn't take it personally, yeah, I object to that <laughs> <laughs> because. After a few moments later, when he has opportunity, he spits on Hall. Yeah, that's the thing that Hall says he likes, though. He was like, yeah, because Hall bumps from the spit. And he's like, I started doing that in all my matches where like I'd spit on somebody. I'd have them spit like he would talk about it with them in yeah. the future. And he'd be like, then I'd bump for the spit and people like fucking love it. Yeah, uh, I think there's like a few times in this match. And that's one of them where like Hall and Nash, despite maybe their reputations and they know they're winning and that probably helps. Right. But like they're OK making themselves look like fools or like getting mm. you know being on the receiving end of stuff yeah i think they do a decent job of that in this match of, yeah of trying to help their opponents get something even though they're they're the ones going over mm -hmm. uh, i was i also had a note here that um even though the crowd is behind hall and nash they do chant diesel and razor at them yeah did you say that already i did uh, i'll cut that out <laughs> Did you talk about how the fans were distracted by a big fight? Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> I may have been looking at some things. <laughs> that, that's fair. Um, Stevie Ray beats Nash down to the mat in the corner, then tags in Booker T, who hits a scissor kick for a two count. Stevie Ray is tagged back in, 
but Nash manages to drop him with a sidewalk slam. He tags in Hall, who hits a second rope bulldog for a two count. And there's this moment where, like, you can tell Tony can't help but be impressed with, like, the different moves. Yeah. Like, I don't think he realizes that uh, Scott Hall has kind of, like, a wide variety of moves. Sure. And you you can tell he's impressed, but he's trying not to, like, compliment a member of the NWO. Right, but he's right. kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. Booker T is tagged back in, but Nash catches him with a forearm to the back of the head, and Hall follows up with a clothesline for a long two count. Hall tags in Nash, who hits a few of his vintage moves before tagging right back out. Hall then hits a choke slam for two, and again, Tony comes away impressed with the move variety from Scott Hall, but is also trying not to yeah. compliment, too much, compliment him too much. Sherry hits an apron, and uh, Hall does like the Goldust sort of thing of like feeling oh, yeah. himself up and to taunt her. Yep. She slaps the bejesus out of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is one of the things I love about Sherry is that like she works at like 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 she's another wrestler, which is apparently Scott Hall's thing because he grabs her and by the hair and starts kissing her. He gives her a big old smoocheroo. <laughs> Smoocherooney. Yeah. Uh, this distraction gives Booker T the opening he needs to hit a spin wheel kick on Hall. Uh, <laughs> then they show Sherry, who is like down on her knees, just inconsolable at ringside because she got kissed. She like, got like sexually assaulted. <laughs> right. And that's. I, that I hate even like saying this. That's not a joke or right. anything. But a thing that was funny to me was during the kiss, like Robert Parker's too afraid of Scott Hall to like get in there physically. Yeah. So he's just stomping around. <laughs> right. Like he's just mad as hell. And yeah. he's just like he's emoting so much, but he's afraid of Scott Hall. He's not gonna actually do anything. Yeah. Perfectly in character for him. Yes. Yeah. The way he reacts is what's funny to me. Yeah. Um, no, but I was, I was trying to say for like Sherry being inconsolable is the fact that she's like, like, it's more like that Hall got the upper hand on her really than, and it's like, it's just kind of funny because it was, it was like, she kissed, like he kissed her instead of like cheating the match or something like that. Yeah. Either way, Booker T and Scott Hall collide with a double noggin knocker as we soon have all four men in the ring. Harlem Heat hit Scott Hall with the Harlem Hangover. But there's no count as Mark Curtis, appropriately, by the way, ushers Booker T out of the ring. Colonel Robert Parker comes in with his cane, but Kevin Nash intercepts him. And there's a moment where Colonel Robert Parker tries to hide the cane behind his back. Like, he was in the ring for some other reason. But it, but Kevin Nash is just like, he, he does like the gesture where it's like, hand over what's behind your back. Yeah. And Colonel Robert Parker gives it, and then he hightails the fuck out of there. <laughs> yes. Like, ten seconds later, yeah. he's not in the arena anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen him, him disappear yeah. so quickly. Well, he's he's one he's at the craps table. <laughs> um so Kevin Nash makes the most of this moment just walloping Stevie Ray in the head with the cane. Um and as Parker runs off, Scott Hall uh, turns around and pins Stevie Ray and they win the tag team championship. Yeah. Stevie says that the cane was supposed to be gimmicked, or maybe it was, but it definitely did not break the way it was supposed to. Yeah. It uh, didn't break at all. He says he was knocked out. I don't buy that having watched it, but it probably hurt like a bitch. Yeah, and it was one of those things where it's like you could tell that he was trying to make it break too. Yeah, Which yeah. is unfortunate if, like, it's on your head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I thought this match was far better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I thought this was a good match. And I thought it was helped greatly by the fans being really into the match. It always adds to it. Yep. And also, 
I would give kudos to both teams for realizing that like if one of the, if if the heels are gonna play faces, then the other team should just go with it and play the other side. Yeah, I think it just makes for a lot better match, and really. I think that Kevin Nash and Stevie Ray were used like the appropriate amount in the in the match. Yeah, you didn't see a whole lot of them like dragging on with like Stevie Ray doing like reverse chin locks or anything like that. Yeah, it was like I went. I I was way more <laughs> impressed with this match than I thought I, w- I would be. Yeah, I thought this was a uh, was definitely a good match and a solid part of the show. Probably the best match on the show since the opener. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it, but I'm yeah. pretty I'm pretty sure this is, you know, my second, the, the second best match of the night. All right. Well, the Outsiders pose with their new belts. Nash says it looks like the takeover is just about complete. We then see replays and a promo for World War Three, which is next month. This promo is absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Uh, a doomsday prepper slash hippie stoner. Like, that's the only way of describing this guy. They were going for something, but I do not know what it was. He comes across as a hippie stoner, but he's in, like, a bunker, and it's World War Three, so that's where I'm getting, like, the prepper thing. Uh, but those two things do not go together, so it's very weird. Yeah, see, I guess I wasn't really, like, thinking about the context, and yeah. I thought he was a mad scientist. <laughs> Which goes to show, like, yeah. they were go- there, there was a lot of things going on here, especially <laughs> since he starts using, like, Rock'em Sock'em robots at some point. <laughs> well, he hypes up. The main event of World War Three, which is, uh, as always, a big 60-man battle royal. Tony says that he understands Hogan has arrived in the building, which is good because his match <laughs> is about to start. Hogan is standing in the spot that DiBiase has been in all night, and let's hear what he has to say. Hogan has arrived in the building. This is his type of town. I guess we're going to go to him right now. Yo, yo, yo. It's time for Hollywood. I can't hear you. He's got feathers. Look at that. That's almost like a haircut that Sting used to have. No, it's not Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. It's Hollywood. Hollywood, brothers. Maybe those are just nerve ends. Yo, NWOites, I just got done with my brand new Free Ninja movie. On November 8th, my brand new movie, Santa with Muscles, opens up, brother. And I got tired of body slamming Hollywood this week. So I decided to come back one more time and body slam a long lost lovesick puppy named the Macho Man. Ooh, yeah! There's only one thing left to say. NWO rules. It is time for Hollywood! Well, here it comes. Uh, Before we get to his words, uh, Hogan's wearing a toupee, Dave. He's just out here wearing a toupee. Yeah. um, The difference is, I mean, because I I knew it was like, Oh, yeah, Halloween Havoc. That's the one where he wears, like, a wig the whole time. I remember, uh, before we go on, I remember years ago, before there was a WWE Network, uh, I don't know why, but we were at your apartment, and you were like, do you remember that time that Hulk Hogan wore a toupee for no reason in that one match? Yeah. And I, not really being a WCW guy, was like, no. And we watched it, like, on YouTube, or maybe you had a DVD of the show or something, but we watched it. Uh-huh. Probably not a VHS, right? 
Um, I could have. I I think it was probably you two. If you I was sure? if I was gonna take a guess, it probably yeah. But you two. showed me this full match just because like we were like, why the fuck? And then I've seen it come up occasionally. It gets posted on Reddit like. Hey, remember that one time that Hulk Hogan, for no seeming reason, wore a toupee in a match? Yeah. And uh, and I've seen people in the comments be like, actually, if you watch it all in context, like, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't. No. Like, baldness has come up a bit in this feud. Uh, Hogan called Savage bald, and, like, the announcers, Bischoff, uh, was like, what does he see when he looks in the mirror? That was a tiny footnote in, like, one promo segment. Right. That's been it. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation as to why he's wearing this fucking toupee. Yeah, so just like my my constant past memory of this match is like I remember the match, I don't remember the promo. Yeah. Now seeing the promo, at least I know I know where he got the wig from because it was from one of his movies, but still no reason as to why he wore it. Yeah. I I have a theory and we'll talk about it later. It's the only thing that I can that I can kind of come up with. So, we'll talk about it in a little bit though. Uh, this toupee is a spiked blonde look that Tony accurately says looks like Sting's old hair. Yes. Hogan plugs. Uh, so besides that, he's also wearing sunglasses and a bandana, not the like Hulk Hogan do rag that he wears these days, but like more a bandana that leaves the top part of the hair open. So you can see this ridiculous toupee. Mm. The bandana is mostly, I think, to hide like the line of where the toupee meets his real head. It's actually, or- I think, probably because of the bandana kind of convincing. It looks sort of like real hair to me. Well, I mean, I think that it's it's a wig that came from, like, the set, and I, w- I came away like, it looks really convincing, like the actual yeah. hair does. It does, and the only reason I disagree with that is because when we saw on night the last Nitro, that segment from the Three Ninjas set, his mm. toupee on that movie was a completely different toupee, unless the character cuts his hair during the movie, which is possible. Right. But it was a the the toupee we saw when he was like in costume was a totally different toupee. Sure. Uh so but maybe the idea is that he brought a toupee back from Hollywood. Like it could be one of those things that makes sense but like the announcers were never told to get it across or yeah. Hogan was supposed to say it in his promo and just didn't. Uh, that's certainly possible. I mean, one thing I do know is that for some reason or another Hogan is always obsessed with Randy Savage's like balding spot, yeah, which is so bizarre. It is, um, and I don't know if it's just something where it's like, I want to look like I have as much hair. <laughs> I like yeah. even trying to come up with a reason. Yeah, is just it's dumb. It's like there's no point. Sure, it's so weird, and I feel like it's a foreshadowing of how seriously these guys take this match. Hogan plugs his very cool Three Ninjas movie <laughs> and his upcoming <laughs> smash hit Santa with Muscles. <laughs> He claims that he got tired of body slamming Hollywood and decided to come back and one more time body slam Macho, who is a lovesick puppy. Then Virgil the Giant, DiBiase, and security bring him down the steps to the ring. Shivani claims that the Outsiders had some sort of clash with security and have been thrown out of the building. Well, yeah, which is weird because before Hogan shows up, he says that they were escorted out of the building, Yeah, um, which they they used before as well saying, I think it was six, they said that they immediately escort him out of the building. And so, like, it was, like, this reoccurring theme as to why NWO is not interfering in their own matches. Right. But then he decides to change the story in which it's, like, they got into a fight with security. Yeah. Which, is, I, I don't know. It's just, like, it seemed like he was kind of coming up with a story on the fly. We then go to Michael Buffer for his intros. 
Buffer says that the match has been sanctioned by the WCW, the Nevada State Commission, and the NWO, who are apparently now a sanctioning body. Mm-hmm. I also I wrote down that he referred to the show as the Slim Jim WCW Halloween Havoc. He also loves saying the WCW, which I know a lot of guys do. Hogan does, but it drives me nuts. The World Championship Wrestling doesn't make any sense. Right. At least Hogan has the excuse of coming from the World Wrestling Federation. Uh-huh. Buffer has no such excuse. Yeah. Randy Anderson is introduced as our assigned referee, so at least this match won't be more Nick Patrick shenanigans. Hopefully not. Despite Buffer being in the middle of his intro for Hogan, Savage's music starts playing. <laughs> they quickly fade it so that Buffer can finish, and then they just start it over from the beginning so that Macho Man can come out. I like they started playing his music, but Michael Buffer, he's like, no, I'm getting my fucking lines yeah. out there. <laughs> yes. It, it clearly, it seemed like they were indicating like, okay, Michael, let's move on to the next guy. But he's like, no. I, I'm going to do these lines. Like, Yeah, th- I'm not important. sure. That's a good It's it's a good question. For Halloween, Randy is in black and orange gear with Snap Into It written all over it. Buffer says that Randy is, quote, known as one of professional wrestling's classiest stars. <laughs> so classy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Savage motions to the back and out comes the Macho Man monster truck. Exactly the cutesy little touch that I would do if I was about to reach the culmination of my blood feud with the (laughs) man I blame for my divorce and who is currently forcing my ex-wife to make videos professing she still loves me in what appears to be a kidnapping scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Before the bell, Randy Anderson tries to get the giant to leave. Macho gets a mic and yells, oh, yeah. (laughs) Then he tells Hogan to get his two goons out of here so he can kick his ass. Hogan has long words with the giant who eventually ambles off. (laughs) The bell finally rings and Hogan, who is once again looking a little slimmed down, I thought, tonight. I don't know if it's because he's out in Hollywood and just hasn't had time to work out the way he wants or what. I don't know, but um, one of the places I was looking online was noting that Previously, when he wrestled, that he was uh, billed at 308 pounds. Yeah. And tonight he is at 269, apparently. Wow, that's uh, down a lot. Um, uh, he definitely, though, like, because I said, I remember a few weeks ago, like, he's starting to look big again, like old Hulk Hogan, not yeah. weird WCW 94, 95 Hulk Hogan. But then this week, it's like he's somewhere between the two now. Yeah, it's like, it's almost as if, like, when he's not on the road, he has a very distinct like a different way that he goes like his daily routine yeah which doesn't include like engulfing in himself in steroids yeah i don't know it's almost like he does some kind of cycle <laughs> that produces <laughs> right. various results i don't know <laughs> you would almost think um also i thought it was uh <laughs> i feel bad for the giant because the title still has his nameplate on it <laughs> how emasculating is that like all, all the time your new boss is walking around <laughs> with like God. your trophy yeah. as his. Yeah, he he got your job. You got demoted, but at his desk he keeps your nameplate. <laughs> Just to rub it in. And you know because he calls you into his office every day. All the time. <laughs> uh Hogan immediately starts the match by bailing to the outside and jawing at fans as Macho tries to taunt him back into the ring. Dusty says that it's a little odd and discomposing that Liz is not here. He wonders aloud if that is a word, and it is not. I was about to say, discomposing? I guess it makes you lose your composure? 
I think is where he's trying to go. It, it sounds like his her composure is like rotting away. <laughs> Ew. Eventually, Hogan, who is keeping his uh, toupee bandana and sunglasses on for the mm-hmm. match, mm-hmm. gets back in the ring. Hogan immediately begs off and leans between the ropes, and though Randy thinks about attacking him anyway, he's walked back by Anderson. Tony clears up something for me, saying that the monster truck that has driven out is not the one that was given away. Instead, a street-legal version was, just as we talked about earlier. Right, but they still indicate it's a street-legal monster truck, yes. which I don't, I still don't think is a thing. Yes, absolutely. Finally, after minutes of stalling, Hogan catches Randy in a side headlock. Action almost threatens to take place, but Hogan instead bails to the outside for some more stalling. We get a test of strength, but Hogan boots Savage in the gut and takes control with some punches. Hogan rubs Savage's face into the mat while taunting him. Shivani proves that even the people inside WCW have no idea what the Hogan-Liz-Savage story is supposed to be, Uh as he and all the announcers still have no idea if Liz was shooting the movie and has feelings for Macho, or did she fake the feelings for the part, or, like, did Hogan trick her somehow? No one still knows. Nobody has any idea. Right, and... And I know when we talked about it, when when they did like that behind the scenes video, yeah, is that it seemed like it muddled things up even more. Yes, because they were indicating that she was re- going to record it that same day, but she also did it at like the swing they <laughs> built for her. Yeah, which would be probably a different location. It's a there's nothing about it. Like, they're not even trying to make sense out of it. And I don't think they ever will. I think this is going into the uh, vault of unexplained stories along with DDP's mysterious benefactor. Right, yeah. Like, it's just never going to be heard from again. Yep. Hogan struts and taunts the crowd, who boo him quite a bit. Minutes of boring, slow offense by Hogan. Eventually, Macho ducks a punch, hits some of his own, and then double axe handles off the top rope. He steals Hogan's shades and pumps up the crowd. Hogan gets up and turns around, but is terrified <laughs> of the sight of Macho Man wearing his sunglasses. He's shaken to his core that the Macho Man is wearing some shades. But not only any shades, they're the shades he was just wearing. <laughs> well, that's where all his power was, I guess. Right. Hogan drops to his knees and begs for mercy. Randy instead grabs Hogan by the fake hair and then punches him. Hogan does a back, uh, does it like a back bump from that and the toupee stays in Randy's hand. As you imagine, the crowd loves this. (laughs) And Randy holds his trophy high, and this is where I'm going to come in with my theory. I think the reason behind the hairpiece is that Hogan has done nothing but humiliate Savage this whole feud. Hogan is going to win this match. Savage is once again going to be humiliated. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that he thought of. I'm going to give Randy this thing where he is just going to embarrass me on a massive scale. Right. I'm going to come back from Hollywood. I think I'm hot shit. I got this fake hair, and I'm just going to be pantsed, uh, literally in a little bit, uh-huh. by Randy in front of everyone and made to look an absolute fool. So I think that's the reason for the, the toupee. I think it's his attempt to be like, look, brother, like I've, I've been bald my whole career, and we've always kind of talked around it in the WWF. My opponents weren't even allowed to mention it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like here... I'm going to call you bald this one time and it's going to plant the seed, right? And then I'm going to come out for the match with a toupee and you're going to pull it off my head. You're going to shove it in my mouth and all this stuff. I That's the only explanation to me that makes any sense. Yeah. And and I also like that right when that happens, um, Bobby Heenan says that he's a convertible. 
Yeah. Because, yes. Because the yeah, top, yeah. Yeah. The tops yeah. Off. yeah. Yeah. I like also earlier that when they see it for the first time, uh, Bobby says, "Hey, must have used half a gallon of Rogaine." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Just going a different direction entirely. <laughs> Macho puts the toupee over his own cotton candy spray-on fluff that he calls hair. Right. And Hogan feels around and realizes that the hair is gone. And despite being bald for his entire time as a mega famous public figure, right. he is humiliated right. to be seen as bald now. He, he thought that it reminds me of um, when George uh, Costanza refuses to date a bald woman and Elaine's like, you're bald. And he's got the toupee on just goes, no, I was bald. <laughs> He charges at Macho Man, who dodges him and sends him into the turnbuckles, then punches him some more until Hogan gingerly rolls to the outside and heads up the aisle. Um, also, right when his toupee comes off, I mean, he still has like the little bandana of sorts, but then what little hair he has, he has in a ponytail. Yeah. Which it just reminds me of like like a, a teenager that just has enough hair in order to do a ponytail. <laughs> yes. Because they think it looks cool. <laughs> I mean, he he ends up like pulling it out or something at some point. Yeah, yeah. But it just looks really goofy. It, it it's sticking up at a weird angle too, because I think it was like taped or something to make the thing f- fit on flat. Right. Randy chases Hogan down the aisle and stuffs the toupee into Hogan's mouth. Gross. Hogan is a great sport here and carries it around in his mouth, even though he could just spit it out. Yeah. Like, he wants to make sure everybody sees it. They really get it on camera. So he's marching up and down the aisle, getting punched, holding a toupee in his mouth. He's, he's doing a little bit to try to help, like, give Randy something in this match. <laughs> right. They make their way back towards the ring, and Macho Man gets a chair. He hits Hogan with a pretty safe headshot that lays him out, and it seems like Randy Anderson is going to allow this. Yep. Uh, but he is going to give Savage a stern lecture afterwards. <laughs> Said lecture allows Hogan to recover, grab the chair, and hit Macho Man in the back, and thanks to the legal principle known as stare decisis, or Latin for to stand by things decided, Randy Anderson must allow this flagrant cheating as well. Oh, that's kind of a, that that was a little long joke there you got going. (laughs) One guy out there is laughing at that. (laughs) Um, I don't know when this happened, so I'll just bring it up now. There's a a spiel that uh, Tony goes on about how he, how Hogan didn't believe in the virtues they spoke about when he was like a good guy. Yeah. That he only used him as a means to make money and to make himself popular. Yeah. And I felt like that we were getting a little bit real there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as Randy lays on the floor, some dick fan throws two Slim Jims on him. Yeah. Uh, everyone there seems to have Slim Jims. I'm suspecting they were maybe handed out at the event. Uh, and <laughs> Just... this guy, or at least two people chose to throw theirs on the macho man. Right. Hogan throws Savage shoulder first into the ring post and then attacks him with a chair. This time, Randy Anderson is warning Ted DiBiase not to... something. Right. (laughs) DiBiase is actually on the floor and then jumps onto the apron to distract the ref, but he does it after the chair shot. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he sees the chair shot and was like, whoops, that was my cue that I just missed. (laughs) Hogan puts Savage on the guardrail and kisses his head a couple times. Liz comes down in a very silly rainbow-colored dress with a bright pink skirt. <laughs> it it was pretty silly. I I <laughs> I thought it looked like she looked like sherbet. Yes, absolutely. Um, but also the the thing with Hogan kissing Savage's like balding spot is yeah. just like oh, it was the bald spot. I didn't even think yeah, of that. Yeah, it's just like he had this whole moment where he, where he could make fun of him being bald. Yeah, but Hogan still can't resist 
like making yeah. some sort of focus <laughs> on Savage's Baldwin spot. Hogan sees Liz and focuses on her, which allows the Macho Man to try a roll-up for two. Hogan punches Randy uh, for a while, then tries to stand, but Randy grabs him by the tights and exposes his ass to the crowd. Uh, so that's, again, Hogan eating some humiliation. That's straight from the Ric Flair playbook. Yeah. Uh, Hogan has not been a heel in a long time, and I think he's like, I'll take that and that and that, and I will eat this toupee. Yeah. Um, also... <laughs> When he pulls down his tights, we are revealed like uh like he has like a thong tan line. Yes, and also a thong. I it seems like a lot of wrestlers wrestle in thongs. Like that is a I feel like when you see a wrestler's ass, they're very often wearing thongs. Yeah, it's very. It's it's just a weird aspect where I'm like, there's just gonna be one or two things about wrestling I will not understand. <laughs> and one of them is like the tendency to wear thongs at almost all times. Yeah. If, if you're listening and you're a wrestler or you know a wrestler, ask why the thongs are so common. There might be a good reason. It might have to do with ass sweat. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it's just more comfortable maybe. when you're wearing tights over them. Who knows? More back and forth action sees the two men wind up on the outside where they circle the ring. Hogan grabs Liz and uses her as a human shield. A very nice callback to when Randy did the same thing back when the Mega Powers exploded seven years earlier at WrestleMania Five. Uh, I I'm, I knew it was something like that. I couldn't remember who did it to who because I I just have not revisited that sure. match. Savage chases Hogan back to the ring, but finally Hogan gets a shoulder block. Randy counters with a scoop slam and then knees Hogan in the back, sending him again to the outside. My notes then say, "Fuck the outside, Jesus fucking Christ." <laughs> I just, this is so much brawling on the outside. It's very boring. Not only that, but it's like, there's so much that of like the whole like process of going out of the ring. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like Hogan going out of the ring, stumbling, trying to get his like, like feet underneath him. Like Savage just like watching before eventually going out of the ring. It's just making that whole process as fucking long as possible. Hogan pulls Randy out and they punch each other some more and once more do some ring circling. Hogan again grabs Liz, which is repetitive, but I will have to admit, it still draws a ton of heat from the crowd. So, I mean, it was effective. This time, Hogan throws Liz into Randy, then attacks him. The announcers wonder why she's out there at all, and Brain says, of course, she must be working for the NWO. (laughs) Although, I also think that was a very fair question to ask, because I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, and why did she wait till halfway through the match and come down? I actually thought... Uh, spoiler alert, this is, does not end up being the case. I thought she was going to turn on Randy and join the NWO, and I thought that was once again Brain like po- making himself look smart by saying the thing that was going to happen, but that actually does not happen tonight. Yeah. And, and said it's a typical like this thing where she comes out and just doesn't do anything, really. <laughs> yes. Uh, she does get into the ring and l- use her body to protect a prone Macho Man from Hogan. Hogan backs her into a corner and admonishes her while Randy Anderson checks on Savage. Liz stays in the ring and Hogan goes for a leg drop, but Randy moves. Now Hogan has some kind of foreign object, and he goes to hit Randy, but Liz takes it from him. Hogan tries to get it from her and fails. He instead turns back to Macho Man and sees Randy is standing, so he charges with a clothesline, but hits Randy Anderson instead. Liz leaves the ring and Hogan lays in some more punches. Out jogs, of course, Nick fucking Patrick. Of course. But Mark Curtis is with him as well. This may still be saved. They check on Randy Anderson while Savage scoop slams Hogan and then heads up to the top rope for an elbow drop. Mark Curtis helps Randy Anderson up in the ramp and fuck Nick Patrick stays behind to call the match. 
The elbow drop from Savage connects. Randy covers, and Nick Patrick counts one, two, but oh no, just then, rotten luck, he gets a pain in his injured neck, and he can't count the three. And, and this is a case where it's like, there's this match is supposed to be so important. Yes. But he is, like, comically selling. <laughs> well, everything about, and we'll talk about it, I think, when we get done with the match, but, like, everything in this match is comical. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, well, yeah, we'll get there. Randy shoves Patrick, who takes a big flying bump and then stands over him threateningly. Hogan has that foreign object, though. Liz warns Savage, who blocks the sh- uh, punch with the foreign object, and the two men trade punches. Savage gets the foreign object. I have to say foreign object because we never see what this just mysterious white cylinder is. Yeah. Uh, Savage gets hold of it and uses it for a double sledge to Hogan's head. Randy goes up for another elbow drop, but this time DiBiase uh, messes with his feet and Randy hops down to deal with Ted instead. The giant lumbers down and grabs Randy and is going to chokeslam him, but he notices that they're on the bare floor, so instead he kindly throws him over into the guardrail so he can instead chokeslam him onto the mats. Yeah. And he does a very careful chokeslam. He is being ginger, and um, Randy's old. He doesn't have the best back, so uh, good for the giant. That was good awareness to be about to choke slam and be like, oh, I don't want to do that on the concrete. Yeah. It probably helps that he's still doing the choke slam where he lays out with the guy as well instead of the later version where he stays standing. Yeah. Because, like, he would be like, oh, well, I don't want to take that on my knees. That would hurt, that would hurt me, too. Um, I always felt it's like I know that the idea of, like, getting the choke slam to the ringside in theory is supposed to be, like, more painful. Yeah. But always, like, the one where it's, like on the mat, yeah, looks less painful than in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I think the giant he knows that he's new and he doesn't want to hurt. Like these guys are probably legends to him. Who wants to be the guy who's like a rookie essentially who injures Macho Man right. or Hogan when he was feuding with Hogan? Like, yeah. Good lord. No, I have no, I have no problem with what yeah. the giant did. It's yeah, just yeah. like the idea of doing it at ringside. It just, it never, it always comes across as a lot more ginger than actually doing it in the ring. Yeah. Uh. Giant rolls Macho Man back into the ring. <laughs> we have been ripped off, says Tony Schiavone. Uh, maybe don't say that, because right. I bet some fans probably feel that way. If not now, certainly in WCW's future. Right. <laughs> maybe don't Maybe don't say that a fuck finish uh, on your pay-per-view is ripping the fans off, because uh, that's not going to go down so well, I don't right. think. The Giant gets in the ring and rolls Hogan on top of Savage. DiBiase tells Patrick to go count, and he does. The crowd is split between elated and disgusted. Uh, there is a big mixed reaction to this ending. Buffer announces the winner uh, and still champion, Hulk Hogan, and the trash begins to hit the ring. Giant comes down to the ring a moment later with a bowl of ice water. Trainers check on Randy and get him out of the ring. The Giant pours the water on Hogan to wake him up. Nick Patrick raises his hand in victory as Macho is helped up the aisle. You missed the best part. Where oh, he- no. Where the giant puts it, like, he, he puts the uh, the bull yeah. on the apron so he can get into the ring, but accidentally dumps out, like, half of it. Oh, I totally missed that. Yes. I must have been writing a note or something. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> like, <laughs> half of it is lost at that point. Hogan wants to give his uh, end-of-the-pay-per-view victory promo, which he's done uh, at least on uh, Hog Wild. Well, and he did it at Bash the Beach, which made sense because that was the heel turn. Right. I hate it. I, I prefer the WWF, uh, like 
ma- the main event match ends, the pay-per-view ends. I don't mm. like when we stick around for a promo. It makes it feel like a nitro. Oh, and don't forget he did it at Fall Brawl as well. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep. Because it was like, even though we didn't face him, Macho Man still has to get humiliated. Yes, yep. Who the real king of Hollywood is? This is sick. Well, he's a lucky man. I'm tired of Ted Turner. I'm taking over the WCW. Everybody that gets in the ring with the NWO or Hollywood Hulk Hogan is going down. And all I got to say, NWOites, you definitely caught the right train because we're heading out of town. What you gonna do? Hogan declares himself the real king of Hollywood, a title that I was unaware was at stake at this match. And something where I thought that did he basically make claim to that before the match? (laughs) Now, I refuse to sit there and do the actual math and add all these things up, uh, but... (laughs) I am almost sure that the Macho Man's single biggest film credit, uh, Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah. I bet that that outgrossed every single one of Hulk Hogan's movies combined. Uh, probably. Maybe? I don't... I bet it did if you consider, like, worldwide. Mm-hmm. And if not, it's close. Like, it's it, not that that makes uh, uh, Savage a bigger star or whatever, but it just was funny to me thinking, like... Ah, he's in that one movie. He's got a pretty big part. I bet that made more than at least 90% of Hogan's movies all added up. Yeah, I mean, the one I could think of that Hogan was in that might have done well was when he has that one appearance in Gremlins. Oh, is he in Gremlins? Remember they do like this um, this sort of meta thing where the Gremlins stop the movie and then they get... That's Gremlins 2. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's... I don't remember which one it was. Yeah, Gremlins 2 is the one that gets, like, a lot more comical and weird. Yeah. In a fun way. I like Gremlins 2 a lot. It's been years since I watched it, but... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, like... He, he's got that cameo in Muppets in Space, but I don't think Muppets in Space was that big of a hit. Yeah. I liked it. it. It'll be... It'll be interesting to see, because, like, I, I know I've thought about it, like, these sort of things before yeah. when I realized that, like... After The Rock, it's clearly Batista that is the most right, successful. Right, yeah. Guardians of the Ga- the Avengers, like, yeah. good lord, yeah. I mean, I don't... I mean, The Rock's in a ton of movies. Yes. I don't think it's really that close, but I think I think that Batista's up there as far as, like, per movie. Yeah, he's got a Bond. He's got those Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it, that Avengers Infinity War Part Two or whatever, Endgame, I think it's called. Yeah. When that comes out, that's going to add, like, another, like two billion dollars on his domestic grosses and, and also blade runner oh that's right yeah 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 well that didn't make a bunch of money though it was like 300 million yeah yeah it didn't make a bunch of money Just <laughs> only 300 million <laughs> right all right so before we go to the rest of the angle uh here i do want to talk about the match itself mm-hmm. uh it was bad it sucked uh it, it, i i felt like it was notably bad especially yeah. since considering the um, ramifications and these two men that have... I I made a note that these are two guys that have had a ton of main event matches and know how to at least put on a a competent match. Yeah. And I feel like they didn't really even try this time around. And given the story that came in, the emotional arc that's supposedly happening with the Macho Man and and all the stuff with Liz, Mm -hmm. they just had like a comedy match. Yeah. A 20-minute long comedy match. 
I in the main event, and this is as far as they knew at the time, this was going to be their last big main event against each other because, uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Uh, Hogan has a new three-year deal with WCW, but Savage doesn't, and okay. he's been talking with both sides, WWF and WCW. Mm-hmm. He and they're old; these are old guys. This even if even if he resigns with WCW. This could be the last, yeah. at least main event match these two ever have, and this is what they went out there and put on this jokey bullshit. Like, man, it was really, I was really disappointed, and it's not like I had high work rate expectations. I didn't think this was going to mm-hmm. be Ray and Dean, you know, or anything. Yeah, but Jesus Christ, this was just terrible to me from the very like early on. It felt like. When 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 guys kind of like go like and do whatever they want in like a main event of a house show, yeah, and set in more like kind of playing up with like the jokey stuff with the crowd and things like that, yeah. But but considering like there's people that put like paid good money to see like a like a main event like worthy match, I feel I think as a fan like at the arena, I would have been really upset. Yeah. With the way that this came off. I don't even know if I would have stuck around very long. As Shivani put it best. We've been ripped off. <laughs> right. That's what the voice of WCW told you you should feel. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I have been ripped off. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's keep going through the post-match angle. Uh, Hogan declares himself tired of Ted Turner and WCW. Says he's bored and cuts a pretty brief promo about how good the NWO are. He then high-fives the Giant, and that seems like it should be the end of our show, when suddenly, the haunting sound of bagpipes. Wait a minute. Hogan and Giant are freaked, and some folks in the crowd immediately get what's happening. Right. <laughs> Any wrestling fan should know what's happening Yeah, at this I was point. surprised, because only a few people get it, and then uh, eventually the next thing that happens gets the rest of them. Retains the world heavyweight title. Thanks to. Hey. What is that? What's this all about? What's this music? What is this? There's no other match schedule. Sounds like what? I'm going to tell you what it sounds like, boys. There's a big old chill bump running up and down my spine right now. I'm starting to get the bumps. I think I know what you're talking about. Sounds like bagpipes to me. Oh, no. Wow! Would you look at this? Yes! You know who that is! My goodness! It's Roddy! Roddy! Piper! No doubt about it! Out of nowhere, look at Hulk Hogan's face! That's one man Hogan does not want to see. That's one man who has haunted Hogan's life since he started in this business. That's right, get behind the giant chicken. He wants no part of Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. And once again, WCW has just shocked the world. Don't even think about it. Hi. Hi. So you're bored, are you? I've 
come here to break your monotony. Hey, Sprout, Sprout, why don't you just head back with a Jolly Green Giant and take a break? Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you know what, uh, Mr. Piper? There's a big lack of communication here because when I said that I made wrestling, when I said that I own wrestling and I control wrestling, now that I really think about it, I remember that you and I were running neck and neck. Why don't you shut up for a second? It's my turn. Be careful. I am not here to represent the WCW, the NWA, the SPCA, the SOB, although I can be one SOB when I want to be. Be careful. Be real careful. Yeah. I made a lot of money being real careful. <laughs> I'll tell you something there, Charlie Brown. You've been saying that if it wasn't for you, professional wrestling wouldn't be what it is today. Boy, do I got news for you. I come to you for a reality check there, partner. <laughs> I come because you see, I'm just as big an icon in this sport as you are. I am just as big a Hollywood movie star as you are. You know, let me have my piece because I'm shooting with this one, folks. I don't care, man. I'm a multi-millionaire, too. I started fighting pro when I was 15 years old. I've had over 6,000 professional matches. I've been stabbed three times. Who? Hello. Sit back, Sprout. Sit back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's cut. Wait a second. No, no, no. Shut your mouth. Let's cut. Hang on. Let me have the floor. I've caught your act. Where were you? When I was 15 years old, taking on all comers in a garage. Where were you, playing the bass guitar in Tootsie's Bar and Grill, huh? Where were you? Shut up, man. Oh, something, Piper. I'm gonna call a spade a spade. We ran together, the heck with a backstory. We fought together, and I don't have a problem with you because, okay. As you've been out in Hollywood making all those movies and becoming a multi-millionaire, I have to think back and give the devil his due. We ran neck and neck. No, no, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> you remember WrestleMania? <laughs> Tell me something. If I hadn't knocked out Mr. T, took on the New York City Police Department, chased Dick Clark back, had my way with Liberace, if they didn't hate me so much, you think they would have been cheering you so much? Shut up, I ain't finished.
Do you know what bothers you? I'm the only guy you have never been able to beat. He's right. And I'll tell you something else. You're going to admit it. I am as big an icon in this sport, and whether you want to say it or not, you at least have the guts to put your hand out, and you shake my hand, and you admit that it isn't you that brought all these people here. It's all these people here that made you. Now, I'll be glad to. Let me tell you something, Piper. We've had wars to settle the score, which didn't get settled. And I thought you took off with your family and were at peace with yourself. But now that I see you face to face, me being the honest man that I am, <laughs> yes, I admit, you're just as big a superstar as I am. Then straighten up. When out from the entranceway and down the ramp walks Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge name. I'm not going to do my full intro of who he is. I'll probably save that for tomorrow on Nitro or, or his next big appearance or something. Uh, but everyone knows who Rowdy Roddy Piper is. Yeah. Hogan is terrified of this kilted staple of the 1980s WWF. Uh, he's as scared as he was when he saw Randy Savage wearing sunglasses. <laughs> right. You know, it is Halloween, so maybe he's just spooked in general. It's those <laughs> it's, He's near a graveyard, for God's sake. Yeah, Elvis right. and Rick are buried right over there. <laughs> oh, Rick. <laughs> Piper has a mic, and he addresses the Hulkster. Which, by the way, he pulls that mic out from his jacket. <laughs> That's where I keep mine. <laughs> Piper says that if Hogan is bored, he's come here to break his monotony. Piper tells the giant, uh, the jolly green giant, to head to the back. Hogan tries to walk back his comments that he made wrestling and that he owns it, saying that what he really meant was that he and Piper were neck and neck. <laughs> that would have been awesome, like on Nitro and back in like July, if he's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper was yeah. there with me. This guy who's not in our company, but me and him were neck and neck. It was yeah. so close. Uh, Piper... Piper tells Hogan to shut up and says that he's not here to rep WCW, the NWA, the ASPCA, or the SOB, though he can be one mean SOB when he wants to be. Ah. <laughs> That's an okay line. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of rhyming going on there, too, <laughs> which I appreciate it. Piper claims to be as big an icon in the sport as Hogan, which is a ridiculous claim. <laughs> Maybe in 1986, but certainly not now. Yeah. And says that he's just as big of a Hollywood star, and he might be right there. Piper did have some pretty good movies at that point, and Hogan's doing a lot of like straight to VHS kind of bullshit stuff. Well, I mean, Hogan, there's like no movie of Hogan's that I would ever watch, but I right. do watch like They Live every now and then. Yeah, I, I actually that, that, uh, that movie's fun. I went and saw that in a like a little micro theater in South Minneapolis like a year ago just to be able to see it on the big screen. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Piper says that he's shooting here and he doesn't care because he's already a millionaire. I like I, I'm pretty sure he says he's shooting from the hip. Which, oh, that could be. I thought he just said I'm shooting like more of the wrestling parlance. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was pretty sure he said that because it's like using the, the word, but like in a term that, that could be. Yeah. He claims to have been 
professionally fighting since the age of 15 that he's been in over 6,000 matches and stabbed three times. I can totally believe all those facts. <laughs> yeah, the the 6,000 matches seems high, but the rest of yeah. it does sound pretty convincing. Mm-hmm. The stabbing I the stabbing is the most believable. I definitely <laughs> right. <laughs> Hogan says that he doesn't have an issue with Piper and admits again, "Hey, we used to be neck and neck." Right. Piper asks Hogan if he remembers WrestleMania and says the only reason that Hogan got cheered so much was that because people hated Piper so much. He says something like I ran through Mr. T I did whatever with so-and-so. Then he says, I had my way with Liberace. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> was... Phrasing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would have been awesome if he was like, remember WrestleMania? And Hogan kind of strikes, strokes his chin like, WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not ringing a bell. <laughs> Piper claims to be the only guy that Hogan has never been able to beat, which is uh, interesting because we're going to do that exact same storyline in two years at Halloween Havoc. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when all else fails. Get a guy who beat Hogan in a match, say that that's like, and then just let Hogan get his revenge. <laughs> right. Piper demands that Hogan shake his hand and declare that Hogan didn't bring the people in. It was the people who made Hogan. <laughs> Hogan says he thought that Piper was off with his family and at peace with himself, but seeing him face to face, he has to admit, yes. Roddy is as big a superstar as he is. They shake hands, and Piper tells Hogan, straighten up, and then goes to leave. And a bunch of stuff happens, but I want to cut it off here for a second and just say I love the idea that Piper's plan was to come out at the end of a Mm pay-per-view, say, hey, Hogan, admit that I'm as big a star as you, shake my hand, and then Hogan does those things. He's like, okay, now follow the rules, mister. (laughs) And then he goes to leave, like, mission... We're good. We're all good. That's all I really wanted out of this. <laughs> he couldn't do that privately. He had to do it at the end of Halloween Havoc, for yeah. God's sake. Oh, by the way, Piper, on the way out, when you go to the bathroom, you're supposed to squat in that one. Wow. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you something. No, I've had enough. Let me tell you something. You're messing with Hollywood Hogan and NWO. You step back into my world, I can still see you've got the makeup on your face, Piper, and the way it goes, now that I look in your eyes, maybe we need to have the war that didn't settle the score. You your want to know something? Coming. Yeah, I want to know something. Yeah. I'm the reason you got no hair, and what you gonna do about it? Your day's coming, Piper. Oh, really? Your day's coming. Your hands off, Sprout. Your day's coming, wow. Piper. Come on, Giant. Ladies no fear. We have to go. Let's Tell go. you something else here, Chad. Let's go. I'm the boss. Let's go. But Talk I'm not finished. You know why? You forgot something. Now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. Now we got oh, a problem. Fans, we have okay, to get out of here. Tell you what my biggest problem is here. I caught your act with Elizabeth. Snacks Good night, everybody. This is my sport. You can have this for now, but I'm telling you something. I won't allow no... Uh, As he's getting out of the ring, Hogan says, Oh, by the way, on the way out, when you go to the bathroom, you're supposed to squat in that one. And I assume he was supposed to say squat in that skirt? 
Yeah. Because that's the thing you always say to Piper to piss him off. Yeah. But Hogan fucked it up. Mm-hmm. It still may. I still think people get where he's going, but it would have yeah. been so much better if he had said in that skirt. Right. It would have at least like made a lot more sense. Uh-huh. Piper stops and gets back into the ring. He tries to say something, but Hogan interrupts him and says maybe they need to have the war that didn't settle the score. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> I, I think it's because earlier he tries to say we had the war to settle the score, and then he's like, well, it didn't, I guess, or whatever. But he like messes right. it up, and he's like, I'll come back to that later. And right. what he does, it just makes no sense. I From the very start, it's like, it seems like both these guys have their own talking points, but yes. they didn't discuss it with each other. And it's going on forever, which we'll see in a minute. Gets right. in some trouble. Piper claims to be the reason that Hogan has no hair. And then they just sort of trail off while they're still yelling at each other and Hogan and Giant <laughs> go to leave. Piper says that he's not finished and that Hogan forgot something. The championship belt. Oh. Hogan gets back into the ring and Piper keeps cutting his promo using the belt as hostage. Uh, but by this point, Tony has said a couple times that they need to go. And then he just says, goodbye. <laughs> and, right. And in the middle <laughs> of this war of words, yeah. we just end the show. Yep. No idea what happens. What a fuck up. Everyone remembers when this happens uh, in 98. Yep. When they go up. But like this one is not talked about as much. Uh, and it, uh, this isn't a championship match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God knows it doesn't like by this point, we want these guys to be done talking. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is actually, I mentioned a little earlier that I watched a lot of the next night's Nitro. It's mainly because I wanted to see how this angle ended. Yeah. I didn't get to that point. Uh, they say early on in Nitro, though, that they're going to show you the segment. Oh, so sure. I assume they show the entire thing uh, okay. tomorrow night. So on our next Nitro episode, <laughs> hopefully we'll be able to tell you yeah. what happened in the rest of this segment. Uh, so uh, what did you think of our little angle there, Dave? Well... The execution, I don't think, came off very well. I mean, Piper is still with... with <laughs> Hang on. You don't think the execution on that angle that was cut off because they ran out of time was done very well? No, no. I <laughs> I meant as far as, like, they're back and forth. I know. I'm just making it Okay. Up. But um, I thought that Piper, even though he was handicapped in which he had to, like, talk with Hogan... Yeah. ...that he was still doing... I thought he was still doing a really good job. And he was mainly, he was pretty on point for Piper. Yeah. Who can like really ramble all over the place. That was not that bad. He, he yeah. mostly stuck to what he should be talking about. Right. And all this feels very refreshing to me, especially since I feel like it's been a few months. Yeah. No, it actually has been a few months because Savage's title shot was known back in July. Right. And that was, you know, like we talked about for Nitro's on end, how this, this just seems like, a formality of getting to this Halloween havoc. Yeah. Um, and then especially since the match was terrible and both, and you know, didn't seem like either guy cared that the match was terrible. It just, it's good to have like a, a, a change of pace and someone for Hogan to face. It's like, Oh, this is actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like that. It's freshening up in that way. I personally just, the thing that dr- takes me out of this is that like, Piper is nowhere near as big a star as Hogan is. Right. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. If it had gone back to WrestleMania 2, sure. <laughs> but a lot of things have happened since then. Yeah. Notably, WrestleMania 3, which cemented Hulkamania as, like, a national right. just force. It's absurd to claim that Piper, who has come and gone from the WWF a number of times, has never been the champion, has never been the face of the promotion... It's absurd to claim that he's as big a star as Hogan. And if the idea is like, there's no way Hogan can beat this guy. 
I don't know, man. Like, that's just ridiculous to me. It's it just, I don't believe it. I don't believe this story at all. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm like, oh, good, a new person here, somebody who's probably not going to, like, allow himself to be humiliated in the way that Randy did. Yeah. Uh, whereas that's great. I just, I wish they would have found a different way to frame it other than, like, here's a guy who's on Hogan's level, who's always been on Hogan's level, and who Hogan just has to admit that he's got no chance against. It's just, I, I don't well, I don't buy that. Well, I mean, I feel like it's perfectly on par with Piper's character to believe himself in that way. Sure. I, I think that if we get to the point in which the announcers uh, start agreeing with him... That's a good point. Then yeah. that would be something where I'm like, no. I, and then also, I am pretty sure... I mean, I would certainly be, be willing to look into this, but... I'm pretty sure he's right about um, Hogan never actually beating him. Yes, I think that's probably true, but I also I don't think they had a ton of one-on-one matches because neither one would agree. Like right. Piper never jobbed anybody. Yeah. Uh, which is why he never was champion because they were like, well, how are we ever get the belt off him? Right. <laughs> <laughs> true. So Piper had this weird career where like, yeah, he didn't lose anyone, but he also that kept him at a certain like place in the pecking order. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it's not that I don't think it's just, if you're like telling me that they're going to have a match, I, it's not like I'm like, oh, well, I think that I can see Piper winning that match. It's just like, no, Hogan's on too much of a roll right now. Mm. We haven't seen Piper, um, like including all of wrestling. We haven't seen him since he was in that silly backstage brawl, uh, like OJ Simpson parody match with, with Razor Ramon. Or with Goldust, with excuse Goldust, me. He yeah. took he took Razor Ramon's place. Like that's the last time we really saw the guy was in that goofy stuff. Uh huh. Like meanwhile, Hogan's the part of the hottest thing in wrestling. Yeah. Like it's I don't know who can take on Hogan. The only person who could probably take on Hogan right now is Sting, and obviously they're not going to do that right now. It's going to take quite a while before we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe it's fine that it's Piper. Maybe it gives them something to do for a few months because, like I said, I just I don't know who could credibly go against Hogan right now. I mean, I I think it can easily go without saying this is not the route that they go. Yeah. But um, I feel like they could have easily done this slow burn of um, of the giant becoming unhappy with his position yes, as absolutely. the boy. Yes. And and he's he's the most legitimate guy to me. Yeah. And I know I mentioned this back when he turned heel, where I was like, they could have easily made the program of like this whole NWO needing to beat the giant. Right. Um, especially if you took the less goofy guys from the Dungeon of Doom, and they seem to be turning the Dungeon of Doom's goofiness down. Yeah. Sullivan is wearing a suit. He doesn't have that makeup on anymore. The faces of fear are certainly not goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, Conan is like a gangsta. He's not yeah. He's not a, a leprechaun or whatever the fuck. Right. So if you took like the serious Dungeon of Doom and then you added the horsemen, mm-hmm. and let's say instead of feuding together, they got along, and they all united behind the giant... That's an army that could go against Hulk Hogan's army of the NWO. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it's like, in retrospect, it's, it's it's kind of sad where it's like, it seemed like that they kind of had like a, a, a really good lane that they could have gone down as yeah. far as like creating a unit and not necessarily make making it like, well, if they beat Sting, then they have defeated all of WCW instead of having kind of like two stables going to war with each other. And the idea that like there's kind of been like this on and off like, like partnership and hatred between the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen yeah. that they could have finally put aside in order to fight the NWO. But I, yeah, it, it's just they've decided like um, once Hogan became champion, 
the idea is there's literally no one WWE that can beat them. So now we have to kind of wait until we can afford another guy to come in to challenge Hogan. All right. Well, let's talk about some backstage info and how we got to this point. Piper has been wooed by WCW on several occasions, but has always turned those offers down and mainly used them as opportunities to renegotiate his position with Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, he hadn't been doing that much with the WWF, as we talked about, since uh, like six months ago at WrestleMania. Right. And the deal he has with WCW now, uh, which is why he jumped at this chance, was was, it's a bunch of money and it allows him to both appear in some movies that will be produced, probably maybe even television movies with TBS or TNT. Yeah. Uh, but he'll do some movies and some matches, as well as appear on Nitro to give promos and help solidify WCW's rating lead over the WWF by attracting by attracting an older audience. He was filming a movie when WCW called, and since he figured WWF was not using him, and there was no way that Vince would match WCW's $2.2 million over two years offer, Whoa. he immediately signed with Turner. Whoa. In Piper's own words, quote, why did I leave the WWF? More money. <laughs> yes. McMahon got wind of Piper's. Even, def- I was going to say, even <laughs> if I was going to guess yeah. what he was going to make, I would not have guessed that much. Well, and that's what Meltzer reported. So that also could be what what someone wants you to think he was making, sure, which sure. could be Piper himself. But yeah. that's that's the report. Uh, McMahon got wind of Piper's defection, apparently before Piper had the chance to tell him himself. And evidently when they spoke earlier in October... They're talking, uh, I think, over the phone, and Vince knows that Piper's leaving, but Piper doesn't know that Vince knows. Uh, So Vince offers Piper the opportunity to induct Jimmy Snuka into the WWF Hall of Fame, knowing that there was no way Roddy could accept. Piper said, look, Vince, I can't. McMahon immediately cut him off with just, yeah, I heard. (laughs) Just a little (laughs) testy Vince McMahon for you. Oh, just to think he could have inducted Jimmy Snuka, <laughs> who murdered his girlfriend in 1970 <laughs> or 1982 or whatever it was. I, I as did, I cackle at that hilarious information that that man is a murderer. Right. I just feel like anytime Jimmy Snuka is mentioned, yeah. it's like I need to put that note sure, in there. Yes. He murdered his girlfriend. Uh, now, four days before tonight's show, Hulk Hogan signed a new three-year deal with WCW, turning down what is... Again, reported to Meltzer, but that's almost certainly from Hogan himself. Yeah. Uh, a five-year offer from the WWF. Now, this deal with WCW kept the famous provisions from his 94 deal, such as creative control. Uh, Hogan says that the five-year offer from WWF was for $5 million per year and would have seen him win the Royal Rumble in 1997 and start a new title reign at that year's WrestleMania. That is 100% bullshit. <laughs> Probably. I, I boy, I can't even think about how terrible WWF would have been at that point if yes. they brought Hulk Hogan back. Yeah, just watch the balls get cut off, Steve Austin, and then the company die. Like, yeah, and it's like, um, I'm, while it's like I don't believe that money amount, it just knowing how much, I mean, up to a certain degree that Vince loves Hogan. Yeah, I could believe that he would have brought him back. Yeah. Randy Savage and Eric Bischoff have been negotiating, but there's still no deal for Randy. And uh, Hogan's re-signing hurts Randy's bargaining position as certainly the best threat that Randy could have made was that he and Hulk would leave WCW and continue their feud in the rival organization. Right. Uh, So now that Hogan is locked in, um, the argument is that, especially since Vince already thought Randy was too old and now several years have passed. Um, But again, it would be a chance to hurt WCW and take a star away. 
And as we know, we've talked in the past, like, uh, Savage versus Flair has been their biggest drawing card on house shows this entire time. Oh, sure. Maybe not now that the NWO exists, but it was for, like, a long period of time. Uh, so that's going to put a cap on our show. Uh, but let's go through some other business before we sign off. And first, we're going to start with Dave Meltzer's star ratings. All right. So I'm going to go through the ratings. Uh, I'll go through each match. Dave, why don't you say where you'd put it? I already know what Meltzer's are, so I'm not going to guess at them. Mm-hmm. And then we'll just talk about where we would put it. In uh, we've We don't normally rate the matches in full, but I like we kind of go with fair or unfair. Yeah. Uh, so Ray and Dean, four and a quarter. That is because uh, I actually went with ratings and I went yeah. with even quarter ratings. Oh, okay. Look at you. And I went with four and a quarter. Ah, perfect. Uh, DDP and Eddie, what do you got? Uh, DDP and Eddie, I gave uh, two and a half. That's exactly what Meltzer said. I think I would go lower, um, but again, that I don't blame anyone for that. It just it, it is what it was because of the, the illness. Mm-hmm. Giant versus Jeff Jarrett's. Um, I went with 1.75. You're very close. Uh, Meltzer gives it a two. I think you're both in the right ballpark. I'm not going to quibble yeah. with either one of those. Six versus Jericho. I gave it a three. Meltzer gave it a 3.25. You are you are within a quarter of him on every single one so far. Uh, I'm actually going to go lower than that. I really, like I said, I didn't like that match. I'd say more in like the two and a half range. Uh, Lex Luger and Arn Anderson. Uh, I gave two. Meltzer liked that one more than you, 275. What? Yeah, oh. two three quarters, I guess I should say. That that seems pretty high. Yeah, I'm more with you. I didn't think that match was very good. Right around a two is, is fine. Four horsemen versus the faces of fear. Um, I That one I gave uh, 2.75. See, he gave that a 1.5. What match was he watching? That was not that bad. He, uh, that must have been when he was taking his uh, traditional sleep during the show. Yes, his traditional sleep during a show. <laughs> Some people call them naps, but we call them <laughs> sleep during a show. Right. Uh, I'm more on your side. I thought that match was fine. It was pretty good. Yeah, and I th- and again, I mean, I tend to give a little bit of a handicap for the fact of of Mongo being there, but the but to me, since he didn't wrestle as much, and we got a lot of what we expected out of the match, that's yeah. why I gave it a much higher rating. All right. So, uh, what are you giving to the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat? I gave that three and a half stars. Uh, three point three and a quarter from David Meltzer. Uh, okay. I'm a little closer to you. I think the crowd m- m- probably is the thing that elevates that a quarter or even, yeah. even a little more. So, uh, three point three and a quarter is not unfair. It's not ridiculous, but I would rate right. it a little higher personally. All right, what are you going to give to Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man Randall Savage? I I know that he's done this before. So I went with Dud. Sure. Yes, that would be a good prediction. He actually did give it one star. One. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where the one star came from. I think Dud's fair. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think it's more than fair, considering, like I said, they're two like longtime professionals. Yeah. They know how to do main event matches. I feel like they just didn't care enough, and my rating reflects the fact that that they. I just think that they slept walked through that match. Uh, just. You know, there were there was like two or three like you mentioned how Hogan's like he has these two or three heel things that he likes to do and they just kind of went over it repetitively. So and the match was insanely long as a result and yeah. just there's there's nothing redeemable about this match and that coupled with how they should be able to deliver, that's why I gave it a dud. 
Uh, one last note before we sum up the show as a whole. Why no match for Glacier, do you think? Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like maybe that's just something for Nitro at this point. I, I think that maybe maybe they're waiting for him to actually have like a feud, which yeah. he's not to that point yet. So, so maybe they're just kind of waiting. They're just establishing him on Nitro and waiting for a feud to emerge. Sure, I uh, I just think like he's been doing great. He could have had a a showcase match, another quick three minute, four minute thing mm-hmm. with someone who's a bigger name than the Jamokes he's been fighting so far. Yeah, um, there were so many promos on the show. I know they ran out of time somehow. But there were so many promos on the show that easily you could have shaved one or two of them, could have shaved a few minutes off a couple matches, and, like, n- nobody would have missed it. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you're talking about, like, having an additional match, yeah, that'd be one thing. But uh, if you're looking, like, these eight matches, they've all kind of had, like, hype. There's not Yeah, really I wouldn't take can... anything off the show. Sure. I'm just saying I think there's more than enough room sure. to trim things down and add a Glacier match because I think the narrative that you hear is always that, by the time Glacier debuted, the NWO were there, and there was just no room for this, like, goofy throwback character. But from what we've actually seen, crowds are into it. At least the entrance and the, yeah. the stunt show aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a good opening match thing because the entrance is so over. Maybe an, ed- an opening match needs to be longer than five minutes, so maybe that doesn't work. But Or maybe maybe something to kind of, like, lift up, like, the middle of the show as well. Because yeah. I... I Malenko versus Mysterio was a good way to start off the show. I, and I'm just a big fan of having the cruiserweights come out to kind of like get the things going. Yeah, I, I just think that Glacier is doing enough to earn himself a spot. Yeah. And he's like, we haven't even seen him on Nitro in a few weeks. And it's just, I, I'm starting to like realize that I don't know that I agree with the idea that the character was dead on arrival. Because it seems more like the character was actually getting over and then they just sort of forgot about him because they had new toys. Yeah. You know? No, so, I, I agree. I don't feel like any it, any of it is Glacier's fault. Yeah. I mean, there's there's only so much you can do. And if they don't book you, they don't book you. That's really all of our business. So let's just talk about uh, the show as a whole. I thought it was pretty disappointing. Um, the main event was disappointing. The There was like three good matches. Um, you've got your Faces of Fear Horseman. You've got your Outsiders Harlem Heat. And you've got your Ray and Dean. And of those, like, the two tag matches were good, but they weren't blow-away good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cruiserweight match is the only great one. And then as far as angles go, like like I said, I didn't love the angle, or at least I didn't love the way that it came off. Yeah. Uh, the main event was super disappointing. There were uh, just a million promos, and none of them were very good either. Mm-hmm. I just I, I thought this show was a real letdown, and we spent an agonizing six weeks yes. of watching the macho man get his just ass handed to him constantly. Yep. And this is where we, after all that, this is where we got. Mm-hmm. It's pretty frustrating and a little disheartening to be honest with you. And, uh, well, yeah, to me, the only positive is that we can finally move on from this. Yes, that's true. We, no one was enjoying this feud. Whatsoever. Yes, that's true. Um, and here, and here's the thing, like even with Malenko Mysterio being good, yeah. like, their match, they've had matches that were better. That's true. Aside from the Outsiders and Harlem Heat, every match was a little bit, um, it was not as good as it could have been. And there, because a, a lot of these are guys that have faced each other before and have had better matches before. So I feel as a, as a whole, it's like everyone kind of like underperformed. Aside from the Outsiders and Harlem Heat, that was the one match that I felt was 
uh, exceed expectations. Yeah. Everything else, below expectation. I agree. It was better than I thought. It's just, it's not like it was amazing. That's all. Right. And and that's that's like one out of eight matches was better than I would have expected it to be. And on a pay-per-view, like a major pay-per-view like Halloween Havoc, that's, you know, like Tony said, we got ripped off. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, there's really just one thing left then, and that is our match of the night and MVP. Uh, no surprise uh, that my match tonight is going to be Rey Mysterio Jr., uh, who lost the Cruiserweight Championship to Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. What was your match tonight? I I mean, as much as I was like giving props for Outsiders in Harlem Heat, I mean, Malenko and Rey Mysterio is like, I have is almost a full star better. So yeah. Yeah. it would be disingenuous to go on anything else. Yeah, and I'm going to say for my MVP, I'm actually going to choose one of those guys. I'm going to say Dean Malenko. Uh, just because he had the opportunity to cut a promo afterward in which I thought a guy who's not known for good promos, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he certainly, I think, handled himself very well on a night where I thought that, like, other guys like Ted DiBiase or Lex Luger or Six kind of got lost in the weeds at times. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. His, his promo was fine, and he was great in the ring, and is it, um, is no one it, else just really stood out that much to me. So. Is it lost in the weeds, or what was it the Luger said? Uh, the Well, there was a cactus and a thicket of things you don't want to see. A thicket of things. Yeah. yeah. So some guys got lost in a thicket of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So just really just between Ray and Dean, both were great. So mm-hmm. Dean gets an edge by having a decent promo as well. So uh, he is my MVP. Who is your MVP of the show? Uh, I am going to do a co-MVP, and my co-MVPs are going to be Scott Hall and Booker T. Nice. Um, I feel like it was their work in particular with each other that made that match a lot, like I said, better than I expected. And and what I mentioned at the beginning of the match, um, having those got those two go against each other made me excited for the idea of them wrestling each other more. Sure. And I think that's a big plus when you're watching a show or watching a match and like being excited to see them wrestle each other again. So uh, for that, I give those two my MVP. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. We will come back at you uh, two weeks, not necessarily from today, because it's always a little bit of uh, time that takes to edit, and it's hard to predict that ahead of time. But we're going to record again in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So in a in a, about two weeks from now, you will see a new episode from us, uh, and that will be right here, of course, where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. You gotta scratch, you gotta bite, you gotta use something to get this guy off his feet.